everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Patricia. And my name is Aaron. And today on the show, we're going to be covering the winners of the Annie Awards. And Nintendo will now reportedly launch their next console in Q1 of 2025. Embracer Group cancels 29 unannounced games between July and December, and are restructuring by cutting 1,400 jobs. We have the trailer for X-Men 97. We'll be giving you our post thoughts on Trolls Band Together. It's 10 years ago today since Twitch plays Pokemon went live for the first time. Paramount fires 800 of their staff shortly after the success of the Super Bowl. Uh, Funimation is shutting down on April 4th. Rumors of a source claims to expect a Nintendo Partner Direct next week. Capcom has officially floated the idea of a sequel to Okomi. Tommy Teller Rico's never actually featured on MTV Cribs. $3 million, house, three million dollar house is up for sale. And a spoiler discussion on Moon Girl and Devil's Dinosaurs episodes 3 and 4. You're listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 18th of February of 2024. Okay, so uh, I have nothing to say this week, I guess. Well, I should say I lie. Um, I want to say a happy Valentine's Day to all the couples out there, and including to my beautiful sweetheart, Patricia. Yes, and same for you, Aaron. And uh, yeah, I want to give a shout out to a few people right before we uh, go on with Aaron and Patricia. So there is currently an Indiegogo campaign right now that I want to um, showcase to all of you who are interested. So there is a short animated film on Indiegogo that is going on right now called Puppet Without a String, which is a really interesting take on Pinocchio. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is because, um, you know, our friends, uh, why Boy and Nero from Toon Grin are the producers of it. So if you're interested in seeing Pinocchio in a new twist, then go check out Puppets Without a String on social media. You go over to their Indiegogo page, just type in Puppet Without a String. Cool. All right, so our top story is that the Annie Awards just aired last night. And as of the recording of this podcast, the BAFTAs are going on literally right now. So we will not be giving the winners of the BAFTAs until next week. But yeah, the Annie Awards had a lot of major winners and a lot of uh, surprises on who won. And some that are not too surprising on who won. So yeah, shall we go over the winners of the Annie Awards? Yeah, before we do, like, uh, which list are you going? on are you going on the hollywood reporter deadline or IndieWire? i'll go on hollywood reporter let's go on hollywood reporter then so um i've got the uh one thing spider-man across the spider-verse please with seven wins including best feature uh yes this. so um, yeah so uh, congratulations to spider-verse for winning best feature i mean it was a pretty tough competition as we said many times before that 2023 just had a slew of great films and yeah, the competition was pretty steep between Nimona, Suzume, Mune Mayhem, Boy and the Heron, and Spider-Verse. And yeah, Spider-Verse was clearly the fan favorite, and it won. Cool. So um, in the list also included uh, Nimona as well. By the way, uh, Nimona, um, we'll talk about probably later on. But uh, yeah, I mean, Spider-Verse, for me, um, I think uh, I managed to see it as like one of the uh, films I managed to catch up on when I was on the plane to go uh, uh, see my, my wife. And uh, that is that uh, I think that Spider-Verse, I think, hit the, um, hit the tone very correctly. I think uh, you're also going off to the, uh, the, 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 the first movie. And uh, though I'm quite, you know, the only thing I think I was probably maybe a little bit disappointed at is the fact that they left it on such a cliffhanger as well. Like, you know, I am actually wanting to see the third movie and see where this all goes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, but um, everything else, like the presentation and the story and the characters, they were vamped up immensely compared to the first movie. 
Yeah. And, you know, Mutant Mayhem and Boy and the Heron are also in this list as well. And uh, it's just it's sad that they just lost out. But, uh, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, uh, it's been pretty competitive this, uh, this, this 2023, 2024, hasn't it? So, yes, it has. Yeah. I, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's going to be a case in which some things are going to be overshadowed by something that, um, you know, that pretty much just like gets the right amount of balance of animation and characters and various hype. And yeah, Spider-Verse was able to check everything out. And it's, uh, it's a reason why a lot of people still praise Spider-Verse, um, even still to this year where a lot of people are still watching it and a lot of people are just absolutely loving it. So again, uh, congratulations to all the other nominees, but Spider-Verse definitely did deserve the win. Mm-hmm. All right then. So best feature independent, um, Ernest and Celestine, Four Souls of Coyote, Robot Dreams, The Inventor, and White Plastic Sky. So Robot Dreams won this one. And that's the other film that's actually being talked about all over around, um, you know, the animation circuit, uh, a collaboration between France and Spain. And I, I the, finally, I just got the announcement that we're going to, fi- you know, have the movie coming out in American theaters in the next month or so. So maybe I'll actually take a look into it. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, we're going to be getting it on uh, March 22nd. So uh, we still got a while to go until we finally get it here in the UK. But uh, from what I understand, it is supposed to be pretty good. So um, I'm going to check it out when um, when it finally gets released. All right. Next one, Best Special Production, Invincible Adam Eve, Shape Island, The Winter Blues, Snoopy Presents, One of a Kind, Marcy, The Smeds and the Smooze, and Velveteen Rabbit. Um, Snoopy Presents won this one. Uh, I don't think Snoopy Presents, yeah. Well, the reason why is because it's an Apple TV exclusive. Oh, I see. Okay, then. All right, let's let's, let's move on. (laughs) Okay, then. Uh, Best Short Subject, uh, Carne de Dios, Daffy and Wacky Land, Humo, Pina and War is Over, inspired by the music of John and Yoko, and that was the one that won. Yeah, I've not seen it, so I can't really comment. Yeah, and I know that some people are saying, oh, but where's Once Upon a Studio? Well, it wasn't nominated this time around. It was like, and to be honest with you, I can sort of see why, because, like, you know, it was just a bunch of cameos, if anything. Like, uh, I get what they were going for, but, uh, I mean, I've got to be honest, like, uh, you know, um, it was all right for like Disney standards, but like as a you know a short that you know was gonna be you know something a bit more than that. I mean, like uh, I'm sorry, it's uh, I I agree. I don't think it should have really been nominated. All right then. Next one, best sponsored um video games by Tenacious D. Alzheimer's Research UK changed the ending. Laugh track, the National, and Up in Smoke, and uh, video games won this one. No, oh, congratulations to Tenacious D. Yeah, congratulations to Tenacious D. And uh, have you seen the video game's uh, music video? I haven't seen it yet, no. But, uh, I mean, like, uh, I'm just happy that Jack Black doesn't have to bet all his money on a Pixar film. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, I guess it makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, this is a bit of a different one. It's a music video that's animated in the style of video games. And it's actually a pretty cool one. You should go check it out. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Next one is Best TV slash Media Preschool. So we have Bat Wheels, ep- Episode to the Batmobile, Gee. Happy episode Navagra and play date with Winnie the Pooh, Storybots Answer Time, and the Creature Cases. And um, Gee, happy episode won this one. Yeah. I mean, we're noticing so far that, uh, I mean, we always talked about this already, but, you know, Warner Brothers already had quite a few anime, you know, uh, nominations uh, mm-hmm. in this. And uh, Disney, 
Oh boy. So like, uh, not, not well, let's, let's move on. Okay. Yeah. So best TV slash media for children. We have curses episode, the baboon temple, Hilda episode eight, the fairy isle, Marvel moon girl and devil dinosaur episode, the beyonder, my dad, the bounty humber, uh, da, bad, my the dad, the bounty humber. hunter, <laughs> humber. <laughs> yes. my dad, the bounty humber. <laughs> <laughs> episode bizarre ride. Shape Island, episode 105B, Square's Special Place. And the winner was Hilda. So I think this is the first time that Hilda's won an Annie. And this is the final season that they're going to be premiering their episodes or before they're done. So, yeah, congratulations for Hilda for finally winning uh, an Annie. Yeah, I've heard so much about Hilda. and not a chance to kind of get, get to grips with it yet. So, um, I mean, hopefully when you know, I finally get the chance to get a Netflix account, hopefully I'll uh, be able to, you know, um, watch it and finally get it. So Okay. Okay, next one is uh, the best TV slash media mature. So we have Big Mouth. Episode The International Show, Blue Eye Samurai, episode The Pilot, um, Hammer Scale, Bob's Burgers, The Amelia episode, um, Scavenger's Rain, episode The Signal, and Tomato Kitchen episode Special Production. So uh Blue Eye Samurai won this one. Oh, cool. Well, congratulations to them. Yeah, congratulations to them. Now, um, I just want to bring up the two of them that we did see. So um bob's burgers episode amelia this, as you guys know this was the very last episode of season 13 and also this was the uh one of the last things that paul rubens ever worked on right before he passed away and it was a very sweet episode it's basically about an episode where um paul plays as a masseuse and he comes over to treat linda on mother's day and it's a very sweet episode definitely a nice one to close off season 13 and um yeah, I think that, um, you know, as for the other ones, I mean, I I know a lot of people have said some bad things about Big Mouth. I mean, I've heard some um, negative reactions towards it, but then some people are actually bringing up like, oh, it's about like uh, puberty and stuff like that. So, yeah, I can't really say too much about it because I haven't seen it. And I've heard a lot of good things about Blue Eyes Samurai, so I'll definitely take a look into it. All right, next one we have is Best TV Slash Media Limited Series. So we have Kizazi Moto, uh, Generational Fire. Only You, an animated shorts collection, Pokemon Path to the Peak, and uh, Kizasi Moto Generational Fire won this one. Yeah, again, I can't say I've seen any of these yet. And also, it's been a while since I've seen, seen anything Pokemon from, you know, in that regard. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, pa Path to the Peak is actually a really interesting looking uh, miniseries. It has a, a completely different animation style. And it, it looks like it's made out of like claymation and it looks really nice. So I, I definitely need to watch it um, because it does look really cute. Cool. Okay, next one is uh, Best Student Film. From the Top, uh, Collage, La Quite Le Human, and Quem Salvala, and The Little Poet. And the little poet won this one. And um, this was done by Justin Keen, and it was done in the California Institute of the Arts. Yeah, it's funny because people cr criticize the California Institute for Arts because, you know, obviously there's that whole Cal Arts thing that, you know, yes. like Kevin says, that everyone, but it's like, you know, they still do good, they still basically do, you know, they are the standard right now. And, uh, you know, people, young people gravitate towards that style and uh, people really like it. And, you know, and also it's rewarding winning as well. So, I mean, like, uh, yeah, it might be a style that some people in more traditional, you know, uh, animation, you know, uh, uh, buffs may, you know, uh, look down upon. But, you know, it is a winning combination. And uh, unfortunately, it's here to stay. So. Mm. All right, then. Next one is uh, Best FX slash TV Media. So uh, Blue Eye Samurai, Kizasi Moto Generation Fire. Star Wars Visions, The Bad Guys, A Very Bad Holiday, 
and what if episode 206 what if kahori reshaped the world and uh the winner was blue eye samurai again yeah, I've seen uh, some, you know, images of that, and uh, it does look pretty good, but uh, I'm not had a chance to look at it yet. So, okay, uh, yeah. yeah. All right, so you, best... you everybody. I'm going to be saying that quite a lot. I think uh, we saw some of them. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we would love to catch up with all the latest stuff, but we just don't have the time. Yeah. Okay, so best FX feature: uh, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, Elemental, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, Suzume, and The Peasants. And Across the Spider Verse won this one. Yeah, again, like uh, as I was saying before, like it was a very spectacular film, and uh, so you know, seeing what's going to happen to Miles Morales in the third movie, I think he's got me definitely got got me wanting to watch it again. So yeah, and as for like Dawn of the Nugget and Elemental, I mean, yes, th those films did look really, really nice, and they did have their you know visual effects like really well done. But Spider Verse again was able to take it to another level. Yeah, I know, and uh, I mean, it's uh, it's funny because you know, uh, Chicken Run, I think you know, um, well, you know, the nineteen ninety nine movie, I think was groundbreaking because obviously it was like one of the you know the biggest stop motion animation movies, you know, before well, you know, before then after it was followed on by Wallace and Gromit: Curse of the Were Rabbit. But I mean, Donald the Nugget. If I think we have to be very honest, like while it is a very faithful, I think uh, you know, sequel to uh, the original movie. I mean, like uh, groundbreaking. I think it would be like, well, I mean, it's not really. It, we watched the making about how they like done, you know, different things of how to like, you know, um, you know, the way that it's been put, put together, and uh, obviously there's more, more, you know, modern technology put into, uh, you know, Dawn of the Nugget than there was obviously for Chicken Run because obviously the, you know the movies like you know 20, 20 25 you know were years apart. But, uh, I mean, in regards to where Spider-Verse is, where, you know, they've got this really great animation, they've got this really great way of doing it, and, uh, you know, it's really appealing to the eye, and, uh, you know, they've got some really great music in it, some really great characters, and really good story. I just think, you know, I don't think Chicken really stood a chance against Spider-Verse, really. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Elemental, I mean, like, uh, again, I think that just goes to a niche audience, I think. So, like, uh, unfortunately, I think even between, you know, Elemental and, sorry, Spider-Verse and Chicken Run, I think Elemental definitely lost out at least, the, well, at least one of those two. All right, then. Next one is character animation. We have Adventure Time Fiona and Cake, Blue Eye Samurai, Kizazi Moto, Star Wars Visions, and The Amazing Digital Circus. And Blue Eye Samurai won this one again. Yeah, not surprising because Blue Eye Samurai, I think, uh, is, a, is a very good Netflix series. And uh, the, I think, uh, you know, Adventure Time Fiona and Cake, you know, um, it definitely does, does be up there as a nomination. Would it have won against Blue Eye Samurai? I think, uh, well, I think the jury's out on that one, I think, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, again, like uh, on top of that, like, you got Star Wars Visions as well. You know, very, you know, very good series. I think so. Well, I think uh, I think anyone would have struggled. I think. Yeah, in, I, I mean, the that. Amazing Digital Circus was actually a bit of a surprise for me because that's an indie project and it was nominated for an Annie. Well, you know, um, they 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 come in and uh, they get noticed, so you know, doesn't surprise me. Okay uh, then. All right, next one is best character animation: Elemental, Namona, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, Suzume, and the Boy and the Heron. And the Boy and the Heron won this one. Well, I mean. Look at that list. I mean, Nimona, definitely. Suzume, maybe, but, you know, like Elemental and Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, no, I think, uh, you know, um, I think The Boy and the Heron, I think we know Studio Ghibli does an incredible amount of work in regards to, you know, its character animation and things like that. The only other things I could really put up against is probably, you know, Nimona has a very distinct style, very radical style, and uh, so, again, I'm not really seeing Suzume, so I can't really, you know, comment too much about it, but I have heard things about it. But, mm -hmm. uh, no, I mean, like, it's Miyazaki, so it doesn't Surprising that the boy in the heron would have won best character animation because again they they are you know uh, they are the bar that people need to jump over and it's a very high bar to jump. 
Yeah. All right. Next one is character animation for live action. We have Ahsoka, Cocaine Bear, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, The Little Mermaid, and Transformers Rise of the Beast. And uh, Volume 3 won this one. Yeah, I like Volume 3. And, yeah, I did, uh, too. Yeah, and I think the character animation, yeah, definitely Rocky Raccoon, by the way, because, you know, his the whole movie wraps around him, pretty much. Like, they, they had to do a, a lot of great, you know, animation in regards to that. But so not just with him, you know, with uh, uh, various other, you know, characters that are also in there, too. I think they did a very good job of that. Also making you feel like emotions, like all these, like, you know, these other animals that we you know, poorly experimented upon. Like, uh, you know, it really does really, you know, grip at your heartstrings. It really does. And uh, so, um, again, like, evolved, I thought Cocaine Bear basically was just a meme. I thought, like, it's just, it's, uh, I was right, yeah, I was quite surprised to see it there. I think we might have talked about it, like, previously when we first talked about the Annie not on nominations. But, uh, you know, the little movie definitely deserves to be up there as well. I think, uh, you know, while it's not as uh, colorful and as well, it's as pretty, I think I would say, as, uh, you know, the 1989 version of the little movie, I think it would be hard to say that, you know, they didn't try and put some work into the little movie in regards to his character designs. So right. and also his animation too. Whether it's you know, I wouldn't say it's as pleasing. I think as you know, uh, the Little Mermaid, nineteen eighty nine. But I think that's just my biases towards growing up with like you know with the Renaissance movies. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think uh, they made the right decisions here. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, definitely the winner. I opinion. do agree. All right, next one is best character animation in a video game. Uh, we have Atomic Heart, Hogwarts Legacy, Let's Revolution, Marvel Spider Man Two, and Tesla Grad Two. And Spider Man Two won this one. Yeah, um, I'm quite surprised at that because, uh, I mean, um, you know, let's be honest, there's quite a few other bigger ones out there. That's, and don't get me wrong, Spider-Man 2, I think, uh, is, uh, is, is, a, is a big franchise, but at the same time, I would have thought, you know, some very you know, other, you know, uh, titles that are in there from bigger from bigger studios, by the way. And no, no disrespect to Insomniac, but, uh, you know, there's other ones that are in there that, you know, definitely have some, have some prestige, I think, attached mm -hmm. to their names. So. Yeah, I'm glad that they were able to win this award for their video game because in the video game awards that happened just a few months ago, they were nominated seven times and didn't win a single one of them. Well, here's an Annie for you. There you go. All right, so next one is best character design in TV slash media. We have Clone High, Jessica's Big World, Kizasi Moto Generation Fire, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, and Spirit Rangers. And uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur won this one. And very well deserved as well, I thought, because uh, you and I are now covering, you know, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur in our spoiler section. And, uh, you know, you and I haven't regretted a single episode, have we? We've loved this mm show. Yes, absolutely. Uh, exactly. And uh, I think, uh, you know, Moon Girl Double Dinosaur, you know, if it's definitely up there, I think, now with uh, Gravity Falls, you know, the Owl House, Amphibia, you know. Uh, I mean, um, I think the, I think we'll have to see how, where the ghost of Molly McGee, you know, obviously, you know, uh, is, is where, where that is, you know, uh, as the time goes on. But I think, I think we'll be talking about Moon Girl and Double Dinosaur, I think, for a long time, I think, yeah. you know, as, as long as it keeps going. So. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Next one is best character design feature. We have Elemental, Merry Little Batman, Nimona, Robot Dreams, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And Spider-Verse won this one. Yeah. Again, I think we'd be treading over all ground. Again, they, there are some very good character designs in this, and it's very pleasing to the eye. I mean, yeah, I love the design of Gwen. I love the design of Miles Morales. Miles Morales. By the way, Miles Morales. Has, I won't give spoilers away, but you know he has like you know multiple designs in that, and uh, I do like you know all of them. And uh, you know the all the different Spider-Mans. Well, by the way, they had to come up with like you know they, they had to throw in like every single Spider-Man that they could potentially. Yeah, we're find. talking about thousands, thousands from every of from multiple universes, multiple multiverses. We're talking about like every single Spider-Man from the comics, from the movies, from the games everywhere is in this movie so the fact that they that 
people had to painstakingly draw every single Spider-Man into this movie, yeah, they deserve best character design. Oh yeah, definitely. They put so much effort into this, and uh, I think you know they definitely deserve to be you know the winner of this. All right, next one is best direction. Uh, TV media. We have Kizasi Moto, Generation Fire, My Dad, The Bounty Hunter, Pokemon Concierge, uh, Scavenger's Reign, and Star Wars Visions. And Star Wars Visions won this one. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I've not played Star Wars Visions, so I can't realize. Sorry, not. I mean, it's, seen, it's a TV sorry, show. Sorry, I've not seen uh, Star Wars Visions. Sorry, I'm still stuck in video games. Uh, so I've not seen Star Wars Visions, so I can't really comment. But uh, you know, congratulations to Lucasfilms, I guess. Mm-hmm. Next one is Best Direction for Feature. Nimona, Robot Dreams, Across the Spider-Verse, Mutant Mayhem, and The Boy and the Heron. Spider-Verse won this one. Yeah, again, they're just sweeping it, aren't they? Like, I think we started at the very beginning, seven Yannis out of all this, and this is one of the seven. So Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm really sorry for, you know, Miyazaki not winning an Annie, though. Uh, well, I mean, he's got one so far. So, I mean, like, I mean, not, not yeah, one that, I mean, with, with the name attached to it, but, I mean, it's still, you know, it's still an Annie, regardless yeah. of that. So, I mean, like, uh, um, best direction in regards to this, I mean, like, uh, again, there's some such big ones out there. Mutant Mayhem, Boy in the Heron, Robot Dreams, Nimona. Like, you know, it's uh, you'd flip a coin over them or play a rock, paper, scissors, like, you know, for this Annie, quite frankly. Like, you know, it, it, all of them, I think, deserve, at least, you know, deserve, deserve it, in my opinion. So All right, then. Next one is best music. Uh, we have Animaniacs, Babylon 5, The Road Home, Special Production, Pacemaker, short film, Star Wars Visions, and the Smeds and the Smooths, special production, and yeah, Star Wars Visions won this one again. And it's surprising, like, you know, you thought Animaniacs would have won this one. They've had so they've had so many good music numbers in like in their new series. I would have mm-hmm. thought. Like, you know, you thought you thought it would have come good, but uh, yeah, well, I guess the commiserations, I guess, to Warner Brothers and uh, you know, uh, all the guys over there at Hulu's Hulu and uh, you know, I guess Star Wars Visions, you know, I guess uh, yeah, it's funny, like are people are saying that they're getting sick of Star Wars, yet they're still winning awards. Like it's, That's true. Uh, yeah, like uh, one isn't dictating the other from the looks of it. Mm-hmm. All right, next one is uh, best music feature. We have Elemental, Across the Spider Verse, Suzume, Mutant Mayhem, and The Boy and the Heron. And Spider Verse won this one again. Yeah, I mean, like uh, Spider Verse, I think has uh, you know compared to Elemental, compared to you know compared to Mutant Mayhem, like uh, I mean, I would definitely say Spider Verse has better music. Yeah, mm-hmm. t- totally agree with this one. I mean, again, I'm not seeing the boy in the heron. I don't know what the music's like for that movie, but uh, I mean, usually, um, I mean, when it comes to like a lot of, um, you know, Studio Ghibli films are going to be, you know, composed by Joe Hizashi, and he's going to definitely do the, you know, the orchestrated music. So, I mean, it's to be expected for what kind of style of music you're going to listen to. So, yeah, I mean, we're li- we're dealing with like two different things where you have music, classical music with orchestra. Uh, performances versus R&B and hip-hop and rap music. Okay. All right, next one is uh, Best Production Design TV Media. We have Blue Eyes Samurai, Scavenger's Reign, Star Wars Visions, uh, What If, and Blue Eyes Samurai uh, again. And um, yeah, this one, the Blue Eyes Samurai won against Blue Eyes Samurai. Well, I mean, I've got, it's different. I've, yeah, I've got to watch Blue Eyes Samurai. I, yeah, you know, I, I, I have to do it, it too. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the reason why Blue Eyes Samurai was nominated twice is because for different episodes. For uh, one of the episodes, they were nominated for Hammer Scale, and the other one, they were nominated for Great Fire of 1657. So the Hammer Scale episode won this one. Cool. Congratulations. All right, next one is Best Production Design Feature. Elemental, Nimona, Across the Spider-Verse, Mutant Mayhem, The Boy and the Heron. And Spider-Verse won this one again. 
Yeah, so, uh, but again, like, uh, you know, best production design, and uh, I've totally agreed with uh, that so far, because, you know, um, look, look at it, Spider-Verse, I mean, we've, we've been talking about it pretty much the entire segment, so. Okay, next one is storyboarding TV media, Craig Before the Creek, Fright Crew, Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogwai, Kung Fu Panda, The Dragon Knight, and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur won this one. I mean, I'm, I'm very glad that they did, because even from, like, the the, uh, the piloting, like, you know, we, we love the storyboarding, I think, for this, you know, where when they first did that, uh, you know, were uh, um, one, um, you know, at the very beginning, and uh, I think uh, you know they do a fantastic job in storyboarding these. these well, I mean, episodes. here's the thing. I mean, that the you remember that uh, the episode in which when Moon Girl is uh, fighting off the villain and they're playing over to the Childish Gambino song. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. This, that this one. is the ep this this is the this is that episode. Yeah, and I definitely think it deserves to win. Like I've seen it myself, and uh, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and if you remember, this was the um, the storyboard that they pitched over to Disney to see if they can make it into a TV series, and they said yes. And look, lo and behold, this is the same one that actually got them the Annie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, this is this is one of the very few times that Disney got something right. All right, next one is uh, best storyboarding feature. We have Dawn of the Nugget, uh, Nimona, Robot Dream, Suzume, and the Boy and the Heron. And the Boy and the Heron won this one. Yeah, and uh, again, well, I mean, would you be surprised? It's Miyazaki, so you know, of course, he's going to have good storyboarding. It's what he starts yeah. off with before he does anything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So for those who haven't tuned into the Studio Ghibli podcast that I did with Zenith and Philip, um, yeah, Miyazaki does not work with a script. He storyboards everything first, and then when he's done with it, then the animators come in and do it. So yeah, that's usually how he does it. And I know that it's very frustrating for a lot of people who are working with him. But hey, it works. Yeah. So um, okay, again, like uh, you know, goes what's about playing to your strengths. Mm hmm. Next one is best voice acting. So we have um, Archer, Craig before the Creek, Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, Solar Opposites, and the Velveteen Rabbit. And Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur won this one. I think. Yeah. Again, I totally agree with this. I think White Diamond White has done an incredible job. I think as Lynella Lafayette. Mm -hmm. I think, and uh, you know, like uh, she gives. You know, such optimism and, you know, uh, such thought to Lanella's character. And, uh, I, you know, here's, here's this other point where, like, I can't imagine, you know, anyone else playing Lanella. I really can't. I think Diamond White's got it completely correct. And mm -hmm. uh, if they did end up in you know, this very sad situation where they would have to repl they would have to replace her, I don't think there's anybody who could, quite yeah. frankly. Or just make her sound the same as she, as she would, like, give her enthusiasm and, you know, give her her, you know, her delivery. I think Diamond White does an incredible job as this character. And uh, long, long, long may it continue. Mm -hmm. Next one is best voice acting in a feature. So we have uh, Merry Little Batman, Migration, Nimona, Suzume, and the Super Mario Brothers movie. And Nimona won this one. Yeah, and I'm really happy that Nimona won this one. I think uh, they had fantastic voice acting, didn't it? Like, uh, um, you know, um, the, the uh, Chloe Grace Morales plays, uh, you know, Nimona. Uh, you know, plays our title character. Like, you know, she does such a she's such fantastic about it. She, you know describing like uh, you know voicing the chaos of like what this character is, and you know uh, really playing into her pain and her you know well in basically her, her long, long long suffering as well like you know later on in the movie and uh, i just think that uh, you know i think the mona i think it's definitely it has been has been 
portrayed by Chloe is a, a very you know relatable character. I think for a lot of people, I think uh, who you know really feel the emotion of this movie, uh, you're going for out. So yeah, definitely deserves to be one. I mean, like in regards to like you know Merry Little Batman and Migration and like the Super Mario Brothers movie, like I still like you know they they put up Jared Black who's like you know uh, for um you know the best voice acting feature. And don't get me wrong, like um I do like how Jared Black has portrayed Bowser in that, but uh, is he the best Bowser? You know, or the best Coop? You know, King Cooper? I think. Uh, out of all the Super Mario Brothers thing, I don't know. We'd have to have a massive debate about that. That's a podcast within itself. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see Jack Black go up against the um, the other Bowsers and King Koopas that we've had in the, every single incarnation. Like, oh, we, we got to talk about the the King Koopa from the Super Mario Brothers Super, Super Show. Show. Well, I mean, like, uh, I mean, it's what people grew up with, and uh, so I think for a lot of people, I think Jack Black, you know, would potentially have been. And now, get me wrong, people have grown up with Jack Black in regards to like Kung Fu Panda and School of Rock. And you know various other you know worse you know um, characters that you know Jack Black has uh, voiced in the past, uh, but would he be sold as like you know the, the the king of the Coopers, Bowser himself, like you know the bad guy, the you know uh, nemesis of like uh, of any you know protagonist that uh, we know of and beloved. Like, uh, that, that's a big thing. And, uh, it is. you know, uh, Jack Black did it, you know, very, very well. And uh, I just think that uh, he captured basically, you know, the, um, the, the meanness, the selfishness, the silliness of Bowser. And so I'm glad he got you know, nominated for an Annie in regards to all those things. Definitely, don't get me wrong. But, uh, I mean, in regards to, like, the Super Mario Brothers movie as a whole, like, you know, being award-worthy, I don't know. Like, again, I would probably have to have a massive discussion about that with everybody, I think. All right, then. Fair so. enough. But again, if you want us to do a future podcast where we look back on all the people who have voiced as Bowser slash King Koopa, let us know in the comments below. Yeah, that'll be interesting, like, you know, because um, uh, there, there's going to be a lot of that soon, because um, keep in mind, like, uh, you know, obviously there's, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog obviously has had, you know, multiple, like, you know, Dr. Robotics in the past, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. The from, like, yeah. there was the Adventures to Sonic the Hedgehog, there's Saddam, there's Sonic X, there's Sonic Prime, there's Sonic Underground. So, yeah, I'm but sure even then, can... No, even, even the other side, like, there's all the Sonic Adventure games, and there's all the, uh, you know, the other, like, you know, video games where, you know, the 3D Sonic games, those That's are, true. like, you know, uh, different multiple voice actors for Dr. Robotnik or, or Eggman, however you want to describe him. You know, sure. so, uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, that could be a podcast in itself. A lot of them Again, yeah, like, let us know if you want us to do a podcast where we look back on a character and we look at every single voice actor and see which one did it the best. So, yeah, let us know in the comments if you want us to do that. Mm-hmm. All right, next one. We have uh, best writing TV slash media. Blue Samurai, Only You, an animated shorts collection, Rock, Paper, Scissors, Rosie's Rules and Scavenger's Reign. And yeah, Blue Eye Samurai won again. Again, I think uh, Blue Eye Samurai, you know, it's just kind of hissing in that, you know, uh, I need to watch this show. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that Rock, Paper, Scissors is nominated for an Annie because it's like it's literally a brand new show that just came out on Nickelodeon. Well, I mean, like uh, if it goes within the rules to be nominated, then there you go. You know? I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next one is Best Writing feature nimona robot dreams suzume mutant mayhem and the boy and the heron and nimona won this one again congratulations to uh the cast over to anapur and, and uh you know nimona i think uh you know they've done a very good job in doing this and also there's some very tough composition in there as well robot dreams mutant mayhem you know uh the boy and the heron i mean like i would say they're very uh you know they're written fantastically i think uh in regards to this i mean mutant mayhem basically has a new spin on our characters 
effectively. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're actually, you know, more teenager than, you know, than they are Ninja Turtle in this. And, exactly. Uh, but they managed to make them feel fresh and new. Which is mm-hmm. like is a is quite an achievement in itself, and we've had various you know forms of uh, you know TMNT you know spanning over like you know four decades. Yeah, that's point. true. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's an achievement in itself. I mean, the boy in the heron. I mean, like uh, um, you know, Miyazaki again likes to start with storyboards, but then thankfully there's there is someone there who says, yeah, I think we might want to write something down. I don't think so. <laughs> I think he's good. Yeah, uh, and you have to remember that the boy. Sorry, the on. boy in the heron was supposed to be a film that was a gift to his grandson. So I'm sure that that meant a lot to him personally about writing what is essentially like a major project that he wants to pass on to his grandson right before, you know, he eventually passes on. So I'm sure that that was a labor of love that he put a lot of work into. Yeah. And again, in regards to Robot Dreams, we're not seeing it yet. So we'll yeah. Say. All right, then. Next one is Best Editorial TV Slash Media. Blue Eye Samurai, Hilda, I Am Groot, Star Wars Visions, and The Legend of Vox Machina. And uh, yeah, Blue Eye Samurai wins, wins again. Yeah, so again, I need to see it. So sorry, guys. And finally, last but certainly not least, Best Editorial sl- and Feature, Elemental, Leo, Namona, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and Mutant Mayhem, and Spider-Verse won this one. Yeah, I mean, like, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record when it to Spider-Verse, but let's talk about some of the other ones. I mean, I'm really glad Leo's in there, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, like, you know, but when it comes to, like, editorial, I mean, it's you know, it's edited okay, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, nothing like it that, you know, pops out to me personally. Well, I disagree with that, actually. Like, uh, for me, um, I think Leo, I mean, to, to be honest, I still believe Leo, I think, is very Dr. Seuss. Which, and I'm not saying that as like, you know, as a bad thing. I'm saying that as like a really good thing. Like, you know, it's this, uh, you know, it's this, it's this, you know, uh, you know, a lizard character that, uh, you know, he's been brought home by kids and the kids all have problems. And then he like speaks up to like, you know, help them out with all their problems. I think it's very, very creative. I think in that regard. And, uh, and I, I do get that, you know, Leo is not breaking any, in, any barrier, any, any barriers down in regards to like, you know, Pixar or DreamWorks or, you know, uh, even, even I would say, you know, uh, Studio Ghibli or anything like that. But uh, I think for Happy Madison's, to kind of like you know um do what they did and uh, i think uh, you know that's an achievement i think in itself because i mean let's be honest i mean like uh, animated adam sandler presentations have never been all that great have they like i mean uh, like i said i really did enjoy hotel transylvania well again well we definitely didn't enjoy eight crazy nights did we no, 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 of course no. we didn't. So yeah, I mean, like, uh, let's be honest. That there, there are some things that uh, you know uh, can definitely be improvement in regards to Happy Madison. But I think Leo, I think, is probably their best picture. I think in regards to yeah, okay, and, yeah, w- yeah, okay. I'll give it that. I do agree. I will give it that. Yeah, I think, I think they, uh, I think they did a very good job with it, and I'm very glad to see it nominated. But I mean, obviously, unfortunately, they're in amongst other giants, including Nimona, and including Mutant Mayhem, and including Spider Verses. Yeah, it was a bad year to release Leo. I think they're up for winning in Annie. I think. So. Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, at least they try to like have something out there that maybe could be considered a possibility that they would win an Annie. But yeah, I mean, you have Spider Verse that won seven times. I mean, it's going to be pretty hard to follow. Yeah, I mean, like uh, it, it definitely ring. It definitely makes you wonder. Like uh, you know, Spider Verse. You know, uh, obviously, is going to be you know uh, uh, racking up towards the Oscars. Oh yeah, uh, I, I am. I'm yeah. I, like I said. It's either Nimona or Spider-Verse that is... I'd like it to be Nimona, but let's be honest. I mean, like, uh, Spider-Verse definitely blew our minds away more than I think Nimona definitely did. 
If we I had mean, to be honest, it was with a miracle ourselves. that it even happened. It's a miracle that it happened, but I mean, like, uh, I mean, I still find you know uh, Spider Verse to be far more immersive in a like a, in a complete un- a different world. Where there is Nimona, I think you know doesn't have that type of depth. I think Spider Verse, I think got every single bit of it right. I think, and uh, so I mean, I think the argument, I think it'd be interesting argument for us to have, like you know, uh, uh, once we get a bit closer and cl- a bit further closer to the Oscars, like, uh, and we start talking about Nimona, start talking about Spider-Verse a bit more, I think, as time goes on. I mean, yeah, wh- which one is going to be better, I think. I mean, the Oscar isn't, I don't think it's going to necessarily dis- determine that, I don't think. But uh, I think it's going to be an interesting discussion, like, what would I prefer to, like, you know, watch tonight? Would I prefer to watch Nimona or would I prefer to watch Spider-Verse? Would it be just, like, you know, is it a mood thing? Or is, like, do we actually consider, like, one of them to be better than the other? Or is it just the fact that, you know, we feel a bit more sentimental for Nimona because of the story, you know, of, the, of all the backstage shenanigans that happened, basically? And, you know, obviously the, uh, the, 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 uh, the destruction of Blue Sky Studios. Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, I think uh, that, again, that in itself will be an interesting discussion for somewhere down the line. Yeah, I mean, you have to be uh, looking into the possibilities that, yeah, Nomona could win, but at the same time, in the Annies, Spider-Verse was nominated seven times and they won all of them. Nomona was nominated nine times and it won two. Exactly. So I think we're getting a, we're getting a inkling of like uh, where things are going to go. I think in regards to best animated feature, don't you? Yeah, I, I do agree. Yeah, I'm I'm telling you. I mean, Spider Verse has a strong, strong possibility that it will win the Oscar for best animated film, and that would mark. And if it, and if it doesn't, they'll find it. They'll find a universe where it does. <laughs> possibly yes <laughs> and yeah i mean i would see if um that could be a possibility we'll have to find out within the next few weeks but yeah that goes for the uh winners slash nominees but yeah we need to talk about the juried awards so we have uh, the june foray awards which was won by the brick foundation uh, the Special Achievement Awards was won by the Artists of Walt Disney Animation. The Ub Iwerks Award was won by John Oxbury posthumously. And the Windsor McKay Lifetime Achievement Awards was won by Charlotte Latte Reininger posthumously, Joe Hizashi, and Marcy Page. So yeah, um, major congratulations for everybody who won or were nominated for an Annie. Yeah. Okay, and uh, so I think um, I did have a thought in my mind actually before I. Sorry, I was I was looking at a tweet, but uh, carry lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, so um, I, yeah, what I was thinking about is uh, Disney. I think animation. I think after you know the last you know uh, you know twelve years, I think that they've had. I think uh, I think they definitely deserve to like you know take away like you know uh, uh, you know uh, an honorary Annie. I think in regards to everything that they've done because um, you know look at look at the um, all the stuff that they produced recently. Like I think mm-hmm. I think it's definitely well deserved. I think mm-hmm. I so, do agree. Yeah. All right. So now we go over to our next bit of news. So then now there's there's a rumor going around that Nintendo will reportedly launch their next console next year. Have they said why they're going to do this? Uh, I think they're, you know, Nintendo being Nintendo, I think they're delaying it so that they can be able to work out the kinks, just like they did with the, you know how I remember when the Nintendo 64 was supposed to come out in 1995, but then they delayed it for a year so it can come out in 1996, so same thing going on here. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know, because I think my only thought would be is that uh, obviously the announcement for Nintendo's next console is probably going to be somewhere... Uh, in Q2, potentially. Like, you know, we are still loaded Nintendo Direct, I think, uh, by Nintendo, I think, uh, somewhere in uh, 
in quarter two. So I think that's when we're probably going to hear, I think we're going to hear about, you know, Switch 2. But uh, in regards to the release, I mean, um, I guess maybe if they've uh, got some feedback, maybe from development that, you know, they feel that something needs to be tweaked, then maybe that's probably what they're looking at right now. And maybe they're going to probably look, you know, a bit further into what they can, how they can further, they can push the hardware. Maybe that's probably one thing they probably might be looking at right now. Um, again, I'm only speculating here. I'm not entirely sure. But, uh, I mean, Q1 2025 to launch their next console, like, you know, a couple of months after the Christmas period, keep mm-hmm. this in mind. And so, and going into summer, like, you would have thought that they would have said, yeah, we're going to bring out the Switch 2 and it's going to release in December and it's going to be ready for the Christmas period. Because what's the, yeah. what, you know, once you've done that, what's the number one Christmas gift that's going to be wanting to be, you know, everyone's, every kid's going to want to get this, that, that this year. If yeah, the Nintendo Switch too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'd be an incredible Christmas gift. So yeah, Q1 2025. I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, doesn't really make much sense. I mean, are they gonna release it in March? Like, you know, are they gonna be or are they gonna like? Yeah, I'm. I'm very curious about why they decided to 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 uh, to delay it. You know, uh, to Q1 2025. Yeah. So let me just take a look at the um the source that it comes from. So. Uh, according to Brazilian journalist Pedro Henrique Lupe Lipe, um, he what claims, yeah, I, I mean, it, he's Brazilian, of course. Um, he claims in a new Oxde controlled video that he received information from five separate sources saying that they're targeting the Nintendo Switch's two release on Q1 2025 as opposed to the 2024 target. Because they're working on games that are targeted for Q1 2025. And Eurogamer heard the same response from um, various sources saying that they want to release it at Q1 2025. So, yeah, I guess they're working with games that is going to be released alongside with the Nintendo Switch 2. Maybe that's the reason why they need some more time releasing it around 2024 i guess nintendo doesn't want to follow in the traditional uh triple a stuff that's been happening sadly in recent years about like crunch period and you know rushing things and it becomes really really bad because we all know about miyamoto's uh you know stance on rushing games you know rushing games will be forever bad when a delayed game will eventually be good so yeah i mean i know that this is unfortunate but we're probably going to get it in 2025 when most likely a lot of people will spend their money around the christmas holidays and let's just say if they do release it in march then people will be uh low on cash because they either spent it on valentine's day gifts or paying their taxes or whatever happens so but you know if the rumors are true now here's the thing this is just speculation it's not 100 percent confirmed um, even though that there are multiple sources saying that it may be a possibility that it will release next year um, we're just going to flat out and say that we're just take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to, cause I'm trying to you know, picture this in my mind. Like, you know, um, well, the first thing I want to say is that, you know, I think a lot of kids are going to be asking for underwear and socks for Christmas. Okay, that's going to be the case. <laughs> well, I, I mean, wanna... that's not necessarily true because uh, there's rumors going around uh, and we didn't put this in the run sheet, but um, I just want to bring this up that the PlayStation 5 is on its brink of ending and there's reports of the, Nint- of the PlayStation 6 coming out. So maybe people will be expecting that coming out sometime this year. I'm not sure. Yeah, like, I mean, well, PS5 was like released like, well, 2019? Was it? I think. Uh, was uh that... I think it was around twenty seventeen. I think that was 2016. or twenty sixteen. Oh, 2017, 26. Really? That's the PS5 been that long. Uh, let me just double check really quick. Right yeah, before I, sure. I thought it was like I thought it was, you know, the PS5 was like just you know uh, 
was just before the pandemic because um you know um yeah, at the time like you know the, oh yeah it, you're right it is 2019 yeah 20 I thought so so like uh, yeah it's it's gone through its five years pretty much like uh, you know for what would basically be you know uh you know the longevity of hardware i guess you could say yes it like, has you know, gone through that time so now it's time for the next generation it's time in. for the next one so it's gonna so the ps6 is coming next yes much. the ps6 is coming next and um yeah they they just literally reported that the playstation 5 is on its last year and then they're going to transition to a next console Cool. Okay. So, uh, as you can see, what I mean, I guess, um, you know, they're going to be moving on to like basically the next generation of graphics, and uh, which is uh, basically going to be, you know, massively overpriced. I could probably imagine. Yeah, massively overpriced. Scalpers will come in and buy a whole bunch of it. People um, will have to buy even more of it, just like what happened with the PS5. Exactly. Oh, good grief. I mean, like, do, do you, I mean, uh, five, remember 599 US dollars? For like you know, uh, PS3. Cool. Yes, and yes. It wasn't even enough money to cover the console itself. They had to rely on like on, on like on game sales basically to so like make up the rest of the make up the rest of the profit. Yeah, was, and the games was, that came out and the games that came out on the early years of the PlayStation Three weren't worth it. Yeah. So. Oh boy. Uh, well, let's just hope that doesn't happen again. But you know, the the release of the PlayStation Five actually did have some uh, great starting games, and I'm sure that they probably learned their mistake. So they're probably not going to do that again. They're, but anyway, for Nintendo, you know, they're releasing their their games, you know, a little bit later, and they said that they're working on games right now that will be coming out for the Switch too. And I'm hoping that one of those games will be Metroid Prime 4 that will be released for both the Switch and for the Switch 2. I think that'll be a great incentive for people to want to buy a Switch 2. That'll make me buy a Switch 2 if that were the case. Well, I know, already know why I'm buying a Switch 2, because there's a rumor there's going to be a Starbucks game on release. So, exactly, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say no to that. Yeah, so. I'm not going to say no to that either. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, again, take it with a grain of salt until Nintendo officially announces that they're going to be releasing their next console in 2025. We'll just have to wait in speculation. And we'll cover on maybe um, specifically a possible Nintendo Direct coming up next week. But again, we'll cover that later. Definitely. All right, so let's go into some really unfortunate news. So Embracer Group. They just recently announced that they are doing a massive restructuring plan after they um, had made the announcement that they are going to be closing various studios, canceling 29 video game projects, and firing a total of, well, cutting of, you know, 1,400 jobs. During its first fiscal quarter, ending in June of 2023, it had 153 announced games in development across internal studios. And now that number has fallen to 138 in the second quarter and 124 in its third quarter, ending in December. It resulted in 1,387 jobs cut, and that's about like 8% of the workforce, and 29 games have been canceled, and 1,400 jobs have been cut, and more cuts could be coming in the future because of restructuring plans. And the, and the CEO of uh, em Embracer, Lars Wingforce, said on Thursday that the company restructuring is now entering its final stretch, but there could be some more in the future. And he claims that as part of the restructuring program, Embracer still has a few larger structured divestment processes going that could strengthen our balance sheet and further reduce CapEx. 
Processes are in mature stages. It's important to add that certain companies might initiate restructuring before any divestment is announced. Um, this announcing its restructure plan embraces most notable studios that have been closed, have been Volition, which is the developer of the Saints Row series, and Free Radical Design, which is the developers of the Time Splitter series. Others have been put up for sale, such as Gearbox. So, wow, that is mm -hmm. really bad. I mean, it is bad. It's sad when everyone, when people lose their jobs. It really is. And uh, but yeah. uh, I mean, like uh, what? Have, like uh, have Embrace like just been struggling in the market? You know, I uh, guess they have been because if they've been struggling in the market, then they would see that you know some of their game sales are not up to snuff, and so they're going to be doing some massive cuts. Now, this isn't the first one that is um, going through this right now. Bandai Namco is going through a lot of cuts as well. In fact, they just fired off several of their workers because they've, they had a 96% drop in 2023. And so they had to structure a lot of their stuff too. Some of their games were canceled and uh, some of their people were let go. But Embracer Group takes Bamco Nanda, um, you know, Bamco Nanda and was just like, no, we can do it even worse. Whereas... With Ban Konendai, they were able to like have like five games canceled and maybe a few people were let go. No, Embracer Group has 29 games canceled and 1,400 jobs are cut. And they're planning on doing more cuts. So, yikes! Mm, it's just, uh, it's not looking great, is it? And, uh, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that, I mean, like, uh, what, were their, what were their profits like, uh, you know, um you know, last day around, like, uh, I mean, I know they already, um, you know, Embracer already, like, uh, you know, um, well, they, they have, like, Gearbox, do they? And like Yeah, uh, they have Gearbox, other... uh, they have Volition, which does the St. Rose series, uh, they, you know, they had the same, um, you know, they had the same developers as the Time Splitter series, so, yeah, they've been doing a lot of Oh, yeah, they have, uh, they have, they uh, have, Gearbox, Software, Crystal Dynamics, THQ Nordic as well, and uh, THQ yeah. Nova, and, uh, yeah, there are quite a few, you know, uh, things on, under under their belt. So, like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know, like, uh, um, I mean, look at like uh, again, like, again, I mean, I'll be keeping an eye on like uh, what's been going on with them. So, I, I you have to forgive me on the uh, on you know uh, being you know it's very sketchy on the details, but uh, I don't know, like it's just it's uh, it, it is sad that you know uh, eighty percent of this stuff is now going to go, and uh, so, but uh, yeah, I mean, if like if. Uh, yeah, so I'm just seeing here, we Q3 results, um, that was uh, lower than expected and uh, only been boosted basically by the Lord of the Rings licensing revenue, according to Variety anyway. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, things haven't been great from most of it. And we don't even know what the Q4 uh, uh, ratings are, sorry, results are yet. So if Q3 isn't very good, I mean, a good grief, and now they're making cuts, I've always imagined Q4 is probably not going to sound very good either from most yeah. of it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this, this is really unfortunate because we've been talking over the last year about all the um, video game developers and people who have been working on all these AAA titles have been just let go because of all of these restructurings and these uh, major cuts. I mean, we talked about, if you remember, we did the end of the year awards. And one of the things that we talked about was like, um, you know, all the jobs that were lost to video game developers and studios in 2023. And that was like voted as like one of the worst things that has happened that this pa that past year. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like they're probably going to do the same thing again, in which like many people are going to be losing their jobs and video games are probably going to suffer for it because they're going to be utilizing a whole bunch of things to cheapen things out. It's like, okay, we have um, artificial intelligence to make the art or to write the stories or something like that. And, 
you know, all of these games that people were looking forward to for the longest time, well, they're going to be canceled because the, 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 the company is just overbloated with lots of um, video games that they're working on at the same time with a massive crunch period and it's going to suffer. And yeah, this, this, it's, it's just so sad to see the, the state that video game companies are going through right now. Yeah. So, well, I think uh, they're going to have to figure out a strategy to basically pull themselves out because, like, you know, the, the, I'm sure there's a lot of other people who don't want to lose their jobs either. Or the fact they've you know, despite the fact that they've acquired a lot of studios themselves, I guess they don't want themselves to find themselves in a situation where they'll end up getting bought out. So, yeah, exactly. well, yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, it's action stations. I think for everybody there, they've got to do something to, like, you know, pull themselves out of the out of the quagmire that they found themselves in. For sure. Yeah, so for all the, you know, 1,300 people who have lost their jobs in Embracer Group, we hope that you are able to find another place to work pretty soon because, um, yeah, I I'm sorry that you had to go through this massive restructuring. Yeah, well, uh, I'm I'm hoping that they all find on the land on their feet again. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, when Embracer goes, good grief, you know, where well, they need to straighten themselves out. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, next one we're going to be talking about is the trailer for X-Men 97. I was so hyped when I first saw this. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it looks great from the looks of it. And, uh, you know, it does remind you of like, uh, you know, the old X-Men cartoon series as well. Like, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, it's definitely been the talk of the town. Uh, I'll definitely say that. And uh, I mean, whether it's going to deliver, you know, on March 20th, it's going to deliver like this, that same. Yeah, you know, this is the thing. Like, you know, when these series come back and like, uh, then you find like, uh, there's just that. Un I think the problem is with some of these is that, uh, you know, there is a, a classic nostalgia to these types. Types of shows that you know you can't really kind of like you know capture again you know what i mean like uh so you know they will bring this back and then but then there's just this uh thing that's like the uncanny valley that uh, they just feel like oh yeah they can't really kind of like it does feel like somewhat the same as like what we had before but uh it just feels like they can't really recapture like the same you know magic that they had before so i think that's the only thing that kind of goes against you know x-men 97 at the minute can they really recapture what was there back in 97 yeah exactly now you have to remember that from 1992 to 1997 x-men the animated series was hugely popular it was a show that was able to tell great stories from the x-men comic books to life like the dark's phoenix saga and the days of future past saga but here's the thing, that was over 25 years ago, and there's been a lot more sagas that have been following up in the comic book since then. And so since, um, literally, this the show is going to take place literally at the end of the series. And what is going to happen, you know, after the events of the last episode? And we did get to see some brief notions of that, in which, like, you know, people are still against the mutants, and, you know, they're fighting off against, um, you know, wanting to have things back to quote-unquote normal and various other things. And, yeah, the fact that we're going to be, like, following into that same storyline that probably has already been covered in the comics, like, decades ago, I'm sure for a lot of uh, people who have been seeing modern X-Men incarnations, they're going to be like, you know, I... You know, I I've already been familiar with this storyline because I've already read the comics or I've seen you know the series that covers it before. But I think what they're going to do is that they're going to do some new things to the formula, but at the same time keep it to the classic uh, art style. And yeah, I think that the people who are working on the show they said that they have a love for the '90s animated series and they want to do the best that they can so that they can be able to recapture it, but at the same time, bring it a, a fresh coat of paint. And yeah, I, I think that um, the voice cast was 
fantastic i mean they are able to bring back some of the old voice um cast of the uh x-men animated series while you at the same time bringing in some new people like uh for example um ray chase is going to be cyclops jennifer hill is going to be gene gray allison seeley smith is going to be storm cal dodd is going to be wolverine jp carliac is going to be morph lenore zahn is going to be rogue george boost is going to be the beast aj los casillo is going to be the gambit Holly Cho is going to be Jubilee. Isaac Robinson Smith is going to be Bishop. Um, Matthew Watterson is going to be Magneto. And Adrian Howe is going to be Nightcrawler. Some of those people were in the original animated series. And then there's going to be some new people who are going to be implemented in there as well. And for some people who feel really sad that, oh, you know, um, what happened to, you know, people like Allison Court, who was the original Jubilee? Well, I mean, two reasons. One, um, the person that they cast as Jubilee, Holly Cho, is Asian descent, and the character of Jubilee is Asian. So, you know, like, pro uh, uh, you know, proper casting for the character. And don't worry, Allison Court is going to be in the series, but she's going to be playing a different character. In fact, every of the original cast members who are not brought in to voice their original characters are going to be voicing somebody else. So yeah. it's not like they just left them off in the dust. Again, like, uh, but I think, you know, uh, it, it makes sense because, you know, you you want, you know, uh, these characters to be all authentic, don't you? And so, like, uh, you know, again, I think it makes sense to, like, you know, put the appropriate voice actors to the appropriate character. You know, mm -hmm. So I think, uh, and again, it, like, uh, well, I guess once the show comes out and uh, you know we uh, see the whole thing, like, so it starts to breathe, then I think we'll see. It, well, I think we'll make it. I think everyone will make a decision of whether it's a good good decision to do or not. So yeah, I think, uh, so um, again, like, you, you know, we, we can we can all speculate, or we can like say, uh, oh, well, I didn't like this bit in the trailer. I didn't like that bit in the trailer. Like, believe me, there's been bad trailers in the past. Doesn't that mean like you know the 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 end product ended up ended up being bad either? You know, right? So, right. like, I mean, there's still a lot to play for in regards to like this show coming out. And uh, like, I was say this: if Disney feel if everyone feels that you know it's not really faithful to like uh, you know uh, you know the actual uh, you know X Men '97, then you know they will Disney will just basically do a season of it and then just move on. You know? Yeah, but um, it does look really promising, I must say, and it does feel like a proper continuation of you know the original X Men animated series where you have. You know, essentially, like the X Men are done with you know Professor Xavier's uh, teachings, and now they have to deal with a bigger um, you know stake involving with Magneto taking control of everything and the sentient robots, basically like um, destroying everything. And then you have it's up to the X Men to save the day. So yeah, I mean, it does feel like a proper continuation after we saw from the last bits of the last episodes of X Men: The Animated Series, and it's going to be animated by Studio Mir, which is. Is awesome to see because Studio Mirror has animated some of the best shows in recent years. And so the fact that they're going to be coming in and doing the animation for it is going to look really, really nice. So, yeah, I'm hyped for this. I cannot wait to see this next month. Cool. All right. So next one, we're going to be doing our post thoughts on Trolls Band Together. Okay. So, uh, um, I guess, you know, um, we knew exactly what we were going to expect, you know, from a troll, which is sort of disappointing, really, when you think about it, because, you know, um, I was hoping, you know, um, if they were going to approach trolls again, and uh, again, like, uh, the only thing that kind of got us through the second movie, obviously, was Bob, you know, we, we go on about that time and time again, but, uh, you know, I would actually like to have a trolls movie that actually surprised me. And uh, this Trolls movie did not surprise me. It did everything I thought it was going to do, and probably even worse. 
quite frankly. And uh, so for me, you know, again, it's not a winner from DreamWorks. I, you know, I remember you were signing off the uh, the podcast, basically saying, uh, "Please, enough trolls. Can we just move on and do something else?" And quite frankly, I still think that now. Hmm. Yeah. It's way, it's very similar to the first movie. It's really bouncy, it's really colorful, but in the wrong ways. And a lot of the music is just like your generic pop music that you hear in a lot of jukebox musicals. I mean, it doesn't flow consistently. And also, the storyline goes all over the place. It focuses on way too many things. Like, you have Branch reuniting with his older brothers, and they have to save one of the brothers from the brother-sister duel of Velvet and Veneer. You have uh, Poppy reuniting with her long-lost sister. You have uh, Baby Diamond uh, wanting to become a man. You have... Um, you have uh, Bridget and King Griswold wanting to do their, um, you know, road trip on their honeymoon. You have so many things that are going on all at once. It's just a lot. Yeah, it just is. Uh, I, I just uh, come. Also, on top of that, like, uh, you know, um, I actually don't know, like, uh, like what were our villains actually supposed to be? Like, I guess they were supposed to be like, kind of like Millie Vanilli in a way. Uh, which, well, like... well, well, actually, well, no. What were they physically supposed to be? Because they weren't trolls. And, oh, uh, they, I, weren't, I, they weren't Bergens. I don't, I like, don't know what they are. Are they supposed what, what, to be like those like silly string toys that they, you just were, fling were on they, the wall or something? Were they robots? Or like... I don't know. I, I, I literally do not know. No, yeah. Like, it's just, it's, uh, they just like, oh, let's just create villains. And, uh, yeah, it's just, there's no imagination with this, is there? You know, like, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just so sickly uh, how colorful it all is. And, uh, it's just uh, what, what I don't understand when they put this project together. What were they uh, trying to achieve by doing? I, I guess it? They, they were trying to achieve that. Hey, you know, we have these two people who want to be big pop stars, but they don't want to put in the work, so they just do the easiest way possible to become famous. Is this supposed to be like a, a joke on people who do this stuff on the internet or something that they become super famous and you know in reality they're just a bunch of hacks? Yeah, is that what they're is that, is that what they're supposed to tell us? It's like oh, people on the internet are not really talented. I just realized something. I never realized something. this. It's like uh, is uh, one of them supposed to be Amy? Sh was that one of the voiced by Amy Schumer? Yes. Oh my god, there's a comment on uh, Reddit, and it basically says this. In Trolls Band Together, Amy Schumer portrays a character who is completely talentless. This is perfect casting. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my uh, Leslie, god. I, I'm going to be honest with you here. Like, you know, uh, by the way, on the subject of Amy Schumer, like, you know, it's really horrible what some people are saying about her physical features. I think that's disgusting. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be happening. But uh, let's be honest, like, Amy Schumer is no friend of like of our show or, like, you know, yeah, I mean, this, this our, is or the, the cartoon same... community in general. <laughs> yeah, this is the same person who literally did a statement saying that, you know, cartoons were supposed to be like distracting for kids. And here she is doing like a really terrible animation movie for DreamWorks. Yeah, yeah, and make, that makes me really sad about Andrew Renesis, who actually voices as Veneer. And you know, this is a, a very big Broadway actor and singer. I mean, this is the same guy who was in Book of Mormon, and he was even in the Pokemon uh, Broadway musical when that was back in the '90s. So yeah, I mean, like you know, him coming. And it's into a shame because his character is so terribly written as well. You know, like yeah. uh, he was supposed to be the re he, he was supposed to be the redeem the redeemable character of all this, but they wrote him totally one hundred percent wrong. Yeah, he was supposed to be like redeeming because you know he saw all the um, repercussions that they were doing to Floyd to the point in which he was almost about to disappear, and then he was like, "Yeah, but I really like my yachts. I like making a bunch of money. I like this and this and that." It's like, okay, you're done. 
you're done. Yeah, exactly. Like they should not have done that with him. And uh, I think that was just it was such awful, you know, the, the way that they did that. And uh, what they really should have go the direction they should have really have gone in, at least in my opinion, it should have been that uh, they um should have like said, oh, he he's um just so mixed about his his emotions. Like uh, he likes the idea of being famous and the idea of like being a successful star and everything like that. But at the same time, he really hates the things that he has to do. But uh, if he he doesn't do these things he's going to lose them and everything like that and so like uh, if if they basically you know um and also on top of that like uh, maybe he's probably having a, you know having a crisis where he's like well if i'm not going to be this who am i you know like uh, they could have done this the same way they did with hunter from the owl house if you think about it, like, don't get me wrong, like, Hunter from the Owl House is, like, uh, you know, a, you know, very different, you know, uh, from what we have with Veneer, but with Veneer, at least you could say, well, yeah, I'm sort of, like, in this abusive relationship with Velvet, you know, with Velvet in, in regards to all of this, and, uh, you know, I'm a bit worried about if I end up, like, you know, leaving this world, and leaving my sister behind, and leaving all the fame and fortune, who am I? We're like, uh, what you know, he basically has like a, 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 it's not an existential crisis. It's like a, uh, what's it called? It's an identity crisis. It is an identity crisis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like if, if I'm not this, then who am I? And then you can probably sympathize with him because that's all he's known pretty much. And he's afraid of like what he might become later on. You know, that that's better writing in my opinion. Like uh, yeah. for a character, they they wasted so much potential here in this movie. And, uh, you know, at least one character that you could say like, you know, I could probably, you know, sympathize with. Yeah, and as for like um, you know, Branch's storyline involving with him being the youngest of a boy band in the nineties, like you know, none of the characters were that developed. I mean, you have John Dory, who is the oldest of the brothers, and he's pushing for perfection, but why though? Why is he pushing for perfection? Like I said before, and again, they could have easily done that by saying, "Oh, my pair, you know, the pair, you know, mom and dad told me to look after my brothers and be the bigger, you know, be the bigger sibling, and that's what I'm going to do." And he takes it a bit too far, um, but then you can sympathize with him because he's been told to take it a bit too far. Yeah, you know? or it could have been that competition was really steep because, as we said before, in the 90s, boy bands were everywhere. And so maybe they are trying to, like, stand above the other boy bands. But again, we don't really get a reason on why he's pushing for such perfection of, you know, hitting the, the perfect harmony. And, you know, the other brothers, like, you know, justifiably enough, decide to leave the band. And then you have branch who's like trying to get to know his brothers a little bit more because you know they left at a very young age where he was raised mostly by his grandmother and he didn't really know too much about what happened to them and again you know all the other brothers they go off and do their different things but a lot of it is just like pretty one note it's like okay you have one brother who's just simply the perfectionist you have another brother who has a large family you have another brother who has this massive golf course and is surrounded by a bunch of trolls who are still afraid of bergens and then you have the other brother who you know was like very kind to branch but again he's the one who's kidnapped and he's the one whose talent and life is being sucked at by velvet and veneer so we don't get to really know about him either exactly so like uh, unfortunately um, you know, um, it's just yeah. This movie is just full and full of problems, and they're actually it's funny because they're small little problems that could easily be fixed, but they were either either too lazy or too stupid to fix them. I don't know, one of the two. 
But I, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think that they just bit off more than they could chew. I would say, you know, remove the baby diamond subplot because that's not necessary. Like the whole thing about like him wanting to be a man, even though he was a month old. It's like, yeah, we don't need that. I mean, if you want to keep Keenan Thompson around, you know, he could just like be the sidekick and help them out or something. But yeah, like give no, don't give him a subplot. We don't need that. And well, also, I would say that you know, um, the thing is that the subplot doesn't amount to anything. That's the exactly. thing. Like, again, like that needs just a little bit of touch up. That's all it needed. Like, uh, you know, he could have come to the realization that, like, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm growing up too quickly. I can, you know, uh, why don't I just be, you know, young for a little bit longer, and then after that, I can worry about being a man. Job done. Like, you know, again, it goes back to what I said before. Small little fixes for, like, you know, making, you know, to, to prevent large problems. That's all it is. Yeah, is it and then, of course, there's the whole uh, subplot involving with uh, Bridget and uh, King Griswold, in which they're celebrating their honeymoon. Again, we didn't really need another series of scenes with them celebrating their honeymoon. I mean, the only reason why it's actually relevant to the plot is because they're captured by the other trolls in the abandoned golf course. And there's a reason why we have to have them because, oh, um, you know, uh, Viva needs to find out, oh, the, they're not bad after all. So I want to go over to see my sister who is you know, trying to save a whole bunch of, you know, trolls from being absorbed by these talented list hacks. Yeah, it's like, uh, um, again, the, the, some of the segments they didn't need in that. If anything, they just needed the segment of them basically going to the golf course. Everything else could have easily been put to the side. Yeah, and then, then we have to introduce Viva into this. It's like, okay, we have the long-lost sister plot going in. And yeah, it, again, that could have been um, a really interesting subplot about her going through this existential crisis of, you know, um, you know, like basically like being removed from the things that she loved, like her family, her home, and wanting to stay away from the... Um, you know, the Bergens because she's afraid of being eaten by them. And so, you know, she has this like essentially a paradise where she's keeping these trolls from safety and from harm. And then anybody who tries to leave, they can't because, you know, outside is dangerous. It's like, I would have really loved to have seen more development of that if we were going to focus on Viva as a character. Yeah, it's just it's um again, um you know, um that was unnecessary. In that regard, like, you know, you didn't need a long lost sister thing thrown into like who already is like, you know, uh, some other family stuff that's currently going on. That was unnecessary. I think mm. it could have easily just been like, you know, some like, crazy cult lady, if anything. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we already have five brothers to balance off. I guess we need to have a long lost sister plot. Yeah, great, great, another villain, you know, like like a sub villain, if anything. And, uh, you know, maybe you know, up the ante a little bit. You know, like, mm. uh, yeah, the whole Viva thing, I think, nah, I think it's just, it's, uh, I, yeah, uh, you know, hey kids, buy the toys, here's a new character. You know, uh, like, no, right, no thanks. Anyway, so long story short, Trolls Band Together has a lot of misfires. It just has so many things that just fall flat that I cannot say wholeheartedly that it's the best Trolls movie of the bunch, even though a and, lot of people say that it is. And the one thing that's so annoying about it is they're all unnecessary. They all could have been fixed. You know, like, uh, and it's just, it's, uh, again, like, I know you take a different opinion from it, but uh, I get the feeling that you know, it, was just, it was just lazily written, I think. They just needed to shove so much stuff into it, and uh, they never really thought to think, huh, maybe we need to fix this, maybe we need to fix that. They never thought to fix anything, and uh, this this thing needed fixing. And they didn't do it. And here yeah. we are with this really, once again, another colorful mess. 
Well, I mean, that just makes me wonder about what the future of Trolls is going to be. Hey, it's probably going to get messier. I probably imagine. Like, uh, they, they, they keep adding characters to to this universe. Is it, I mean, where where is it going to stop? You know, like oh no, or, it's suffering the it's suffering the ice age syndrome of adding too many characters in. Maybe it probably is going through that at the minute. Who knows? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, but I'm glad to know that they're not going to release a trolls movie anytime soon because um, we have Orion the Dark that just came out just a few weeks ago, and we talked about it. But we're going to be releasing that episode this Friday, and then within the next few weeks, we have Kung Fu Panda Four that's going to be coming out, and then we have. Um, uh, the third DreamWorks movie that's going to be coming out. So, yeah, um, there are going to be some other films in the works, like uh, Dog City is going to be the one that's going to be coming out next year, and that's based off of the spinoff series of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie. So, yeah, no trolls that I see so far in the schedule, and I'm hoping that would be a good thing, that they take a break from trolls and, you know, maybe, like, work on the story, keep it simple, or maybe they'll even just take a break from the franchise altogether because... As we saw, I think this needs the... to end the franchise and just be done with it and move yeah, on. Yeah, I was going to say they, they should end the franchise because end you know, this. People... Yeah, yeah, stop it. Well, you yeah. know, no, no, I don't want to see this anymore. You don't want to see this anymore. But no, I don't want to see this anymore. I mean, yeah. the fact that they made only two hundred and eight million dollars, they only barely double back its budget. So I think that just goes to show you that nobody cares for this anymore. Take a break from it. Just end it right here, and then we could just move on. Seriously, 2023 was a terrible year for DreamWorks. They had Ruby Gill and Teenage Kraken, which just it was just mediocre. And then they had this mess to end it all off. It was such a massive letdown considering that 2022 was able to bring us the bad guys and Puss and Boost the Last Wish. We thought this was going to be like a new major golden era for DreamWorks after a five-year mediocre slump. But no, no, I, I guess not. Yeah. By the way, a I, step. I need to talk to you about uh, Kung Fu Panda 4, actually, because uh, what date is it coming out for you in uh, in the U.S.? Oh, that's right. I forgot about this. So, yeah, I'm sure that um, there are some people out there who are really wanting us to cover all of the Kung Fu Panda films. And uh, I know one specific person, I'm not going to say who it is, but they are always excited for us to talk about DreamWorks stuff. But I just want to let you know this right off the get-go, that for me, Kung Fu Panda 4 is going to be coming out, uh, according to what it says here, it's going to be coming out March 8th. Yeah. And for me, it doesn't come out until March 29th. Yeah. So here's the thing. You guys are going to probably have to wait until April in order for us to cover Kung Fu Panda 4. So uh, especially for that one person who always constantly asks us about DreamWorks stuff. Sorry, you're going to have to wait a little bit for this. Yeah, so, um, but, uh, you know, eventually, I mean, here's the thing about this, like, you know, we've always sort of been kind of late for, like, DreamWorks stuff anyway, so, I mean, one way or another, so, uh, I mean, you guys have been under a problem, like, we've been waiting around for us uh, a bit longer, so it wasn't a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's so. true, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so next one, we're going to be talking about that 10 years ago today, Twitch Plays Pokemon went live for the very first time. Oh my goodness, I remember this. And uh, so, you know, 10 years ago, you know, back in uh, 2014, you know, um, they released this and uh, it just became this, this you know, phenomenal thing of like people went inside, like, you know, uh, do, you know, so basically what happened is that, uh, you know, they would uh, go in the chat room and uh, they would basically put in commands and uh, it would basically move, you know, the, you know, uh, the, the player, uh, 
uh, around the Pokemon, um, you know, universe, and uh, then they basically have to go around and actually try and like complete like you know the game by doing that. And uh, there was two ways that they could do it. They could do it through democratic means, where you know the majority of people who basically put in the command basically would uh, you know either move left, right, up, or down, or they have complete anarchy, where basically they would uh, um, you know everyone basically would just like you know be counted as equal, and then you see you know the player just kind of like just moving around in a circle and everything like that. And so the democracy bit thing worked for a little while, but then they had to switch over to Anarchy, basically, to complete the rest of the game. And uh, yes. then, once it went to Anarchy, you know, like, <laughs> it spawned a load of memes, I have to say. And uh, there was really one funny one that was based on a, on a Renaissance artist piece, and uh, I really wanted to find it because it was so hilarious. And, uh, oh, I, wish, <laughs> I really wish I could find that image. But so yeah, Twitch plays Pokemon. I think uh, yeah, definitely was a was a coup for, for Twitch because they got so many eyeballs like on that website, and uh, it just it was such a phenomenal thing to like watch. Try and watch everybody all at once, you know, try and like you know grapple with like you know a Game Boy Advance game, and try and complete this thing. And uh, I'm quite surprised that you know um, I'm really glad that you know Nintendo weren't as uh, uh, you know as uh, you know bad as they were with like you know lawsuits and stuff because I could probably imagine Nintendo was going to try and probably shut that down. I thought. Uh, but so uh, you know, thankfully they didn't do that, and uh, so thankfully you got to be something like really uh, hilarious. We all got to watch whilst you know where we were all waiting for things, you know, basically waiting for uh, assignments, basically to be marked or like you know do other stuff as well. So uh, yeah, it, it was a great little thing at the time. Yeah, I, think, uh, I mean, there's a lot of memes of it that people will probably see. Like, um, you know, when uh, you have to remember that every command is going on in real time. So there's going to be a lot of like starts A, B. And there was this one scene uh, that, the, you know, the, the Helix fossil was selected multiple times. And so they made a meme about it saying that it's a deity. And so they they basically called the when it, when they were able to take the, um, get the, the, the dome fossil and make it into an Omninite, they were able to say that the Omninite was like a deity of itself. And then, of course, there was the other one, which is the false prophet, the, the Flareon that was brought in. And then there was also Bird Jesus, their Pidgeot, was was able to become really successful in battles. Um, then there was the time in which they accidentally released some of the Pokemon really early on, like the Charmeleon and the Rattata. And yeah, I mean, there was just like a lot of major things that were happening that a lot of people still fondly remember as like, yeah, this was just like <laughs> really, really silly. But at the same yeah. time, a lot I'll, of people I'll give you the I'll give you the whole list of them. So basically, uh, so uh, uh, Might was basically Lord Helix. Uh, yep. Uh, Abajas was basically Bird Jesus. And, yes. Uh, you know, uh, AJ was uh, Battery Jesus. And uh, I was the Fonz. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, I, I was there, Jordan, and uh, then there was All Terrain Vanamorph. I remember those, yeah. So it, it currently holds the, Gu the Guinness World Record for having the most participants in a single-player online game. It has over 1,165,140 participants, putting down a whole bunch of commands of A, 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 B, B, start, select, B, <laughs> A, A, B, start, select, up, down, left, right, B, A, start select it was crazy you have you have to have been there in order for you to like see the madness that was happening of commands playing pokemon red and blue now you have to remember that this is an rpg where you have to like you know walk around grind your pokemon so it can be strong fight gym battles fight trainers collect items fight off gym leaders Fight off the Elite Four, fight off your rival, go to places, ride your bike, on, on, not select your bike. <laughs> it's a lot of things. And, and you know, the, the, it was just insane that they were able to get away with something like this.
yeah just it was uh it was fun uh at the time and uh you know uh, i think i think eventually they did complete the game didn't they they did complete the game. In fact, uh, they were able to do it for all the other Pokemon games, too. They did it for Pokemon Crystal. They did it for Pokemon Emerald. They did it for Pokemon X. So, yeah, they were still able to do it for all of the other games. They did it for Pokemon Omega Ruby. So, yeah, they have played all of these games at some point, but the Pokemon Red for Twitch Plays Pokemon is still the one that's fondly remembered. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so, uh, I mean, happy 10th anniversaries of that, and uh, uh, thank you for all the fun and games that basically you brought us to uh, to Twitch at that time. Yes, and, uh, all hail I, Lord I Helix. Yeah, but I don't think that'll ever be repl replicated again, I don't think. I, I mean, really they, they tried to do it, but it just wasn't the same. I know, but, uh, I mean, it was, uh, it, was it, it was like a once and never again situation, I think, you know. So, yeah. uh, I, I, don't, I don't think you can really, I don't think you can catch a lightning in the bottle twice, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, now let's talk about something that is just not good. Like, oh my God, like, where do I begin with this? Okay, so we talked about the Super Bowl, that it was supposed to be like a massive deal and how they were even doing, um, you know, around the same time they were doing like the regular commentary, you know, SpongeBob and Patrick were also doing the commentary as well. And, you know, also other Nicktoons characters were brought in to do the commentary for the Super Bowl. And I have not seen it, the whole thing, at least. I've seen clips of it. And it does look really, really funny. There were some moments in which it glitched out a few times, but for the most part, it was okay. And they were able to do Sweet Victory during the halftime show while the regular halftime show was with Usher. So, yeah, I think that for the most part, it was a massive success. A lot of people tuned into the Super Bowl and they were, it was, a, it was a bit of a success. You know, people were really enjoying it. I mean, I, I know that, um, you know, for the losing team, they didn't enjoy it. And in fact, oh man, like... There was a shooting that happened afterwards, but uh, we're not going to get into that. We're going to get into the other horrible thing that happened. I mean, you know, I I'm really sorry for the people who were affected by it. Like, um, you know, uh, well, I, I, th I thought some prayers go out to everybody who was affected by that. And uh, yes, well, I understand uh, that that whole situation probably was like, you know, a bunch of kids all fell out with one another. And then like, they all just, like, someone got one, what, I think like two of them pulled out like guns, started shooting yes. or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's my understanding of what happened again. Like, uh, I mean, uh, I make it a thing not to comment on court cases. So I, I, don't, I don't know what uh, is going on in regards to that. But uh, I mean, uh, in regards to you know the Super Bowl itself, I mean, for uh, we've actually not got the uh, the viewing numbers in yet for, for Nickelodeon yet, so we actually don't know how successful it actually has been. I mean, uh, uh, I, I I actually have the viewing numbers. Okay, well, what what is it? According to CNBC, Super Bowl Fifty Eight was the most watched television show in history at an estimate of one hundred and twenty three point four million people watching the Kansas City Chiefs rally in overtime to defeat the San Francisco Forty ers Well, hang so on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up. So, I mean, yes, the Super Bowl itself was the most watched event, you know, in history. But how many of them were watching that via Nickelodeon? Oh, um, that's a good question. I... Yeah, let's, let's, let's stick to the subject matter. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You're right. Okay, then. So let's go into the subject matter. So imagine that, you know, you got in the news about like, oh, wow, the Super Bowl did really, really well. And, you know, a lot of people were tuning into it. And then all of a sudden, you got fired. Well, I mean, here's the thing about this: the, the, the headline is that uh, they let go of 800 employees, and uh, so, but this affects basically Noggin, their preschool channel, and uh, that will shut down after its staff has been, you know, after basically firing all the staff over there. So, this is their preschool department, from what I understand. Yeah. So, they wouldn't have been involved with the Super Bowl. 
But. Yeah, I'm just saying by, you know, like the company that they're working for. I, I know, yeah, but uh, at the same time, like, here's the thing about this, like, but again, like, we don't know how successful the Super Bowl actually was in regards to Nickelodeon. I guess that's so. true, you're right. Exactly, uh, yeah. For, for, so, for CBS On sports, top of that, like, I'm reading this as well, uh, as uh, as I was searching up for all this, apparently uh, Paramount Global were in talks with Peacock about merging. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, We'll get to that in just a moment, but I just want to let you know that... You know, one of the 800 people that was fired and shout out to my friend Zach, who reported on this for me um, and for everybody who was, uh, you know, full follows him. Follow Zach, by the way. Um, he said that one of the people who was fired from, you know, the one of the 800 was Erica Samiro. OK. And uh, did they say why? Um, well, I mean, Erica Samiro was working on the preschool division. Yeah. So, well, again, like, you know, is is their preschool department. So, like, again, you know, um, this is the thing, um, you know, um, Nickelodeon in itself, you know, in, in regards to you know, being part of Paramount, and Nickelodeon itself is like, you know, it's uh, it, it brings in like a, a lot of money in regards to all this. And basically has various divisions. It's not just like one, you know, big orange, bi you know, building, if you will, at least not anymore anyway. So, anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, like, so they're going to have like, you know, they'll have like Junior, they'll have like, you know, their Nicktoons department, they'll have like, uh, you know, where the live action series, everything like that. Like Nickelodeon will basically and also you'll have, you get, that's not even counting his hotel business and counting like all his other like you know things that are attaching to it as well nickelodeon is a huge massive massive empire in regards to that that lives with like you within the paramount empire if you will like a, you know like a small you know uh, uh you know blip on the mountain if you will so yeah. um, i mean so like uh, yeah i mean so just because you know um but you know maybe you know paramount maybe probably was had, had the success of the super bowl in regards to all of that maybe they did do pretty well but in regards to like you know their their preschool you know where uh, output so far i mean like uh, as far as they're aware like he's probably not been doing as well as they'd hope he was going to do and so basically they decided to you know the pull the plug before they like you know experience any further losses from it so yeah, i'm uh, just that... going to read off the statement that bob backish had wrote regarding about the layoffs to those with whom we are parting ways, we are incredibly grateful for your hard work and dedication. Your talents have helped us advance our mission in unleashing the power of content around the world. We are a better company because of you. While I realize these changes are in no way easy, I am confident this is the right decision for our future. These adjustments will help enable us to build our momentum and execute our strategic vision for the year ahead, and I firmly believe that we are, have much to be excited about. Yeah. So here's the thing about this. I think um, with all the talk that's current, I mean, this is probably just a symptom, symptom of a larger thing that probably, probably might be happening within Paramount. I mean, like uh, we've talked, we've heard, we've talked previously about the fact that uh, you know uh, discussions have had been held previously about potentially you know Warner Brothers and you know Paramount potentially merging together. Or like you know potentially they there might be, be, be a Paramount buyout, or there might be a possibility that now you know there might be something going on between you know Paramount and Peacock. In, yeah, let's talk about that. It. So, I mean, but here's the thing about this: like, uh, there's a possibility that uh, you know, by letting them go and you know, basically cutting costs in some places where they probably aren't doing as well, and maybe they want to put themselves in like a stronger financial position. I mean, like, uh, that's usually you know, Simpsons that they basically they want to make a big change to the company. So yeah. I'm just saying that it looks really bad on their end saying like, oh, you know, we did really bad. We did really great with the Super Bowl. And now we're firing a lot of people who worked on Paramount, even though that it is the preschool division for the most part. But at the same time, they'll probably argue like, oh, the preschool department wasn't part of our success. So therefore, you know, we're just isolating. And also on top of that, they're not really making the money or hitting the targets that we want them to hire. So therefore, we're going to let them go. I'm not and saying it is that it is a shame. It, it is, is a, a shame. Don't get me wrong. It's a shame that, you know, 800 people are losing their jobs. But at the same time, like, you know, if they're, if they're not 
not meeting the expectations, and uh, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep it? Are you going to keep it going because it's to lose money? Like, uh, yeah, it's like it's. Uh, I, I would be more sympathetic. He was like, oh well, this is doing like really, really well, and this is like one of the Paramount's most successful thing. And they're going to turn around and say, yeah, we're going to cut it. It's like, but why? Like, you know, that makes no sense. Yeah. But, uh, so, I mean, but let's um, be honest. Like, you, you and I haven't really like noticed Noggin as much as like we would we would like to. And also, like uh, you know, I know now as many people with small children, like you know, Noggin's not part of their routine in regards to. Yeah. Now kids. here's the thing. For those who don't know, Noggin is the preschool division that's going on. I mean, I know that it used to be Nick Jr. back in the day, but now it's Noggin where they have like a lot of their preschool programs like they have um you know blues clues and you and they have uh, various other shows that they air over there and yeah they shut down the app and they fired their entire staff because it just wasn't bringing in the numbers compared to a lot of other things and i know a lot of people who are actually really sad about this because they actually grew up with noggin noggin's been around for several years at this point in time mm -hmm. but yeah i mean and, and you know personally for me as somebody who knew eric um and, you know, I interviewed him several times for the As Told by Ginger podcast we're in between. And, you know, I know him. He's a really talented guy. He works for Klasky Chupo around the 2000s. Then he came in in 2019 to work on the Rugrats reboot with Kate Bootslier. So I, I know that he's a really great guy. And I'm hoping that um, whatever job that he gets in the media, that would be a good one that is a little bit more stabilized than Paramount is at the moment. But, yeah, it just makes me really sad to hear that it's currently not doing very well even zach told you know me and as well as um you know what he posted on social media that the rugrats reboot is no longer airing on nickelodeon it's going to be airing on the nicktoons network yeah exactly and so um like and also it shows how you know not very successful in the, you know, the rugrats reboots basically but don't get me wrong like you know they say oh well it's got a second season well yeah most cartoon shows get second seasons anyway so like you know that's just part of the course but uh, I mean, it's uh, yeah, like the it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens when you know when uh, the fairly odd parents come back and when various other things you know are going to start being re reintroduced as well. See how far they're going to go and uh, whether they're going to get like an inclination of like uh, you know uh, what what uh, you know you know uh, generation now is basically going to get the focus or whether any '90s content is actually going to be really relevant anymore here in 2024. Jeez, uh, man. I yeah. mean, Nickelodeon has gone through a rough year so far. It's only February. I know. Like, like, it's, all, it's, the, it's, all the major leaks that have been posted online with like the um, like the Knuckles TV series storyboards to the Fairly Odd Parents reboot first episode to the entirety of the Sandy Cheeks movie to the firing of people to the the uh, the upcoming release of the 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 four part miniseries about Dan Schneider being a horrible person. Like, jeez, PR must be going through a nightmare right now. Yeah. It's just, it's, um, the, so there's some bits of like, you know, uh, again, we're not really here about this, what's going to happen with the Super Bowl, but I mean, I think we can safely say there are some bits of like uh, Nickelodeon and other bits of Paramount that seem to be working correctly and other bits that don't seem to be working all that well. Oh, so. man. This is, we'll, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on Paramount because. Yeah, I mean, they're just going through a lot of notions at the moment. I mean, whether it's like, oh, good news that, you know, they're doing well with the ratings on various things to bad news, like things being leaked online and, you know, people who used to work at the uh, the network are being called out for being terrible people or um, various other things. So, yeah, this doesn't look good. No, definitely not. Anyway, so, yeah, we'll, again, we'll we'll keep you uh, guys updated for future stuff. Cool. All right, so yeah, let's talk about Funimation. So yeah, for for those who aren't familiar with Funimation, they were responsible for 
uh, producing and distributing various popular TV shows and anime back in the day. Dragon Ball, One Piece, Yu Yu Hakusho, My Hero Academia, Attack on Titan, Fairy Tale, Black Clover, Fruits Basket, Tokyo Ghoul, Assassination Classroom. Well, they've been around for close to several years now. I mean, at least the um, the um, the launching app. Like they they collaborated with Crunchyroll so they can be able to distribute their stuff online as opposed to doing their stuff in house that they've been doing for a long time. Well, they are going to be shut down in April 4th. They're going to merge with Crunchyroll and all the people who have purchased their stuff digitally online is going to be removed from accessibility forever. Again, like uh, this, this is where the terrible things come about when, you know, major you know companies merge together. Like, um, so, I mean, the fact that Funimation now is uh, is going and, you know, they're having to basically merge it now with Crunchyroll. By the way, I think Crunchyroll is something more expensive than Funimation, I think. It has reckon. become a lot more expensive. Yeah, I like, mean, and this isn't going to bring bring down the, the numbers, is it? So, like, No, uh, no, it's yeah. not. And the fact that people have probably purchased, like, episodes, seasons of anime... And it's going to be gone forever because of this merger. Like, I'm sure that people are pissed off. It's like wondering, wait a minute. I have purchased like maybe a few seasons of a TV show that I really like. I'm never going to access it anymore. I mean, they probably spent like who knows how much money just so they can be able to see episodes of Dragon Ball or Yu Yu Hakusho or My Hero Academia. And now it's going to be gone. Like, that just goes to show you that physical media is still the best way to see media because at least you physically own it in your hands as opposed to it being digitally. We talked about this before that uh, when we talked about the whole Disney Plus debacle where, you know, billions of subscribers were leaving in their last quarter saying like, yeah, a major reason was because a lot of stuff is being gone. Like the Willow TV series, that's gone for good. The the Ned, um, you know, uh, puppet series that was created by Paul Rugg, that's gone. Uh, various uh, movies that were exclusive to Disney Plus, like um, the the remake of Cheaper by the Dozen, that's gone. Like you can never see those again. They're not going to be. They were never released on DVD or Blu-ray because it was exclusive to a live streaming service. And because the live streaming service is now going to be merged over to another live streaming service service or you know like gonna be like the major one and sony's gonna say well all the stuff that you got is gonna be gone forever it's like yeah this does not bode well yeah so um i mean unfortunately like uh, again it's um, like i said before it's a it's an unfortunate you know dare i say it's actually it's a problem that uh, you know you see these companies getting all like you know merging all together and then you're seeing you know effectively like you know your fa your favorite you know where uh, places basically you know be collapsing because of that and so i just think that uh it's um you know again again like i think a lot of people aren't going to want to like you know, move over to country roll i think a lot of people aren't going to like you know want to be forced to gonna buy their stuff again so i think uh, for a lot of people i think they're going to be frustrated with the market and they're basically going to pull that all together i can see it mm. yeah so. it's it's just really unfortunate yeah I mean, Funimation is going to be I mean, the app, not not the the voice acting uh, company and distributor. That's that's still going to be around, but like the app itself is going to be merged with Crunchyroll, which is really sad oh, because Funimation... time. The, the rest of it might go, you know. So uh, who knows oh. whether, if, if, if you know uh, well if what if this isn't going to be around you know for much longer? Well, what's the future for everything else? You know, it's like uh, it's uh, yeah. I I don't trust it. Give it time. I'm sure something will happen. Yeah. I hope not. I really hope not. 
anyway, but yeah, I just have to say I'm very sorry for all the people who have subscribed over to Crunchyroll and who had a lot of stuff from Funimation and it's going to be gone by April 4th. If you spend, well, I'm sure 100... we're all going to feel bad, but I mean, like, in regards to being sorry, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, sorry that everyone's losing their content, but you know, let's let's be honest, like, it's not our fault that you know they're all, you know, this is this is happening, like, uh, this is happening because you know, well, these these greedy companies are all swallowing up like uh, all these other ones, or merging them all together, and then not really, you know, um, providing the customer with you know a a, a, a decent you know product, effectively for them to consume, and I think somewhere down the line they're going to feel that. That's true, yeah. So screw those major corporations who continuously think that this is the best way that they can be able to make money by, you know, inconveniencing your customers and by kicking people off of their jobs. So thank you so much for that, mm -hmm. jerks. Anyway, so yeah, um, next next bit of news. So there is a rumor going around that a Nintendo Partner Direct is going to be next week. Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, I think um, that's what's being talked about at the moment. Whether, you know, obviously we're warranted one, I think, at this point, because there's so much news currently going on. We need update on games as well that are going to be coming out, you know, obviously just not for the Switch, not just for the Switch 2. I mean, obviously the Switch 2 is going to be a huge, huge announcement, as we said, like, you know, at the very beginning of the show. But uh, I think, um, yeah, I think we're warranted one, and uh, it's uh, going to be exciting again if we are going to uh, get one announced uh, next week about, uh, you know, exactly what's going to be announced, who's going to be featured in it as well. Like, you know, if uh, Miyamoto is going to have, have an update for us about uh, some things that are going to go on. And, uh, yes, yeah, so I think... Uh, um, Nintendo, I think, are going to be in a good situation, I think, to obviously announce one because people will be excited for it. And uh, obviously now with E3, you know, no longer basically ceasing to be, I think, at this point, I think, uh, you know, there's going to be a vacuum, I think, to fill in regards to having, like, you know, a very big, you know, showcase of stuff. So um, whether this Nintendo Direct is going to come in and do exactly that is, uh, you know, obviously we're going to find out very soon enough. But uh, yeah, I hope so. I think uh, so. I think a lot of people have a reason to be excited, I think, for whatever, you know, Nintendo we're going to announce. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. I mean, they could announce like partnerships with um, other gaming companies that they haven't done before. Maybe they could announce like any like possibilities of some, you know, Nintendo Switch news, like maybe some of the last games that they will release for the Nintendo Switch. Like uh, there's a lot of, you know, news opportunities for them to release on this possible direct that will be next week if the I just asked are this one thing no more farm games please I mean, <laughs> yeah and uh, can we also there's something as well like I get anime is such a huge genre but uh, I mean uh, uh, I would just say that you know th there's a lot of anime games out there right now do we really need more like, I mean, to be—I yeah. mean, we're, we're talking about a Japanese company. I know, but uh, I just—it's—I uh, don't know. Like, uh, I really there's there's two things I really don't want out of this new Nintendo Direct. But I think we're going to get them anyway. You know, no more farming games, and no more you know, no more anime games. If anything, like, if you want to announce one or two, then go for it. But like, you know, well, there was like probably like five or six. Probably like you know, in the last Nintendo Direct. I think, I think. so. Yeah. Yeah, like you know, you couldn't—I couldn't differentiate some out of other ones. You know, like uh, it's just it's uh, yeah. It's just, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, I just think that uh, they need to, like, ease up on, like, you know, the, some of the same genres, I think, and uh, they need to, like, you know, give a bit more of a, like, a, a, a more cosmopolitan presentation, I think, and uh, so to tell the world, like, you know, oh, hey, you know, like, we got something for everybody, eventually, and don't get me wrong, they do have a lot of things for everybody, I'm, I'm not saying that they don't, but uh, I think, uh, you know, I would like to see more varied production, I think, or a varied presentation, I think I could say. 
All right, then. Well, again, this is just a rumor that it's going to be next week. Nintendo hasn't announced it's going to be next week. So, as usual, like we said before, take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go over to our next bit of news. So, there's a recent Capcom survey that is going around the internet of people asking about what would you like to see in um you know a few what 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 games would you like to see future sequels on and some of them have been like okami dead rising mega man and various other games and this has gotten a lot of people really excited so you know they've been asked you know asking various questions about like you know who's your favorite capcom character and you know what's your favorite capcom universe to explore and you know what job would you like to be if you were in the capcom universe do you want to be a street fighter do you want to be a robot master do you want to be a zombie uh killer you know all those kind of things and there were various choices to choose from when it came to the question are there any capcom games including spin-off series that you would like to get a sequel or a new game pick up to three and there were 20 of them some of the games included like dark stalkers okami dead rising lost planet 1942 uh the marvel versus the the capcom versus games and obviously, like the Mega Man's, the Street Fighters, the Resident Evils, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like, so, uh, there's, there's already been a load of like you know Mega Man and Street Fighter games. Like, you know, well, yeah, you're, I mean, you're, like, you're literally, for well, choice in regards to your Mega Man and Street Fighter, aren't you? I mean, to be fair, there hasn't been a new Mega Man game released in quite a while. Mega Man Eleven came out just a few years ago, and I mean, you're right, Street Fighter Six literally just came out, so it you know not too much of a surprise. Devil May Cry Five came out, I think either last year or a year and a half ago so that's still fairly new to people um and uh, we haven't had a capcom versus in a long time i mean i know that there was like the marvel versus capcom games but um yeah those been a bit hit and miss okami we haven't had an okami game in a very long time not like it's been almost like a decade since an L- an- another okami game and as for like dark what if um i mean like uh you know, obviously now Smash Brothers, basically the the final game finally came out. You know, for Ultimate, like you know, what if uh, Capcom basically went up to Nintendo and said, "Yeah, hey, well, what if we have you for Capcom versus and like you know, we like need Nintendo versus like you know another another universe." Mm, I mean, I, that would be really interesting if they were able to do that. Nintendo versus Capcom. I mean, you know, we'll have Mario fighting against um, you know various characters. I mean, I know that they did this with the the Smash Brothers games in which like you have Mario fighting off against like Ryu, Ken, and Mega Man and various other characters. Yes, but you know, we're talking about like a different fighting game. You know, like that's what Capcom- I'm saying. Like, you know, what if Capcom says, "Oh, we want to license some of your characters for you know, putting Capcom versus." That would be really interesting if they did that. I mean, like, I would, that would be a really cool game to see, like, this really stylized, traditional 2D side scrolling fighting game with Mario and Samus and Link and various other characters. That would be really cool if they were able to pull it off. Hmm. Oh, what's something more interesting? What if, uh, you know, um, I think uh, Disney, like, you know, they've got that, like, you know, um, RPG game. At the moment, like oh, King- uh, yeah, Kingdom Hearts, right? No, not Kingdom Hearts. No, it's just the one they uh, they recently announced um, characters for uh, either and. Uh, oh, and that's right. Okay. That the game. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, do you remember? Do you know what it is? Like, uh, what if I mean, what if Capcom went over to Disney and said, "Look, hey, you know, we're, we're going to do a Capcom versus," and they brought in some Disney characters to like mm-hmm. do it. Interesting. Yeah, because I mean. Square Enix collaborated with Disney to do Kingdom Hearts. So, what if Capcom collaborated with Disney to do fighting games? Yeah, like That'd be uh, really yeah. interesting. Would be kind of cool, like you know, see like um, you know uh, some of the characters you don't usually see in like you know uh, in 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 fighting game, you know, for even Disney games, or like you know you know uh, you know let alone like you know something like you know uh, 
something like you know the uh, the from the TV series, if anything, like you know the Owl House, Amphibia, you know uh, Gravity Falls, you know like even Ducktales, maybe for that matter, like you know. Bring them in, like, you know, to have some verse, like, bring them, put them in a little fighting game. That'd I mean, it's cool. not too much of a stretch, considering that Capcom did develop a lot of great Disney games in the 90s. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, well, like, even that, like, uh, we'd like to see more Disney games, if anything. Like, you know, we're yeah. based on, like, some of our favorite some of our favorite shows, or some of their favorite movies, if anything. Yeah, yeah, like, so... You know, do, you remember the, do you remember the time, like, you know, a new uh, movie would come out, and, like, uh, or, like, you know, and then Capcom would then, like, either release... You know, uh, you know, um, a movie, a movie tie-in or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, or you know, I think it was like, what was it? It was Virgin Entertainment, I think, at the time. It was yes. Interactive. It wasn't. They did Lion King games and stuff. That's like, right. You yeah. Know, uh, yeah, I'd like to see that happen again. Like, you know, oh hey, here's um, you know, a, mo a Disney movie that's coming out, and here's the movie. Here's, here's the video game tie-in. You know. Yeah, like we uh, should do that again. Yeah, that'd be really nice. Um, I think that you know we we want to give it to like a competent video game developer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we, so. we don't want to have mobile games of it. No. no, no, not mobile games. Like, you know, like proper games. You yeah, know proper games, yeah. I mean, I think anyway, the last one so... I remember, like, you know, that was uh, uh, probably done, I think, uh, for, for a movie tie-in. I think it was probably Brave, I think, uh, for, the, for the Nintendo Wii, I mm -hmm. think. That's, that's, that's yeah. the one I remember. Maybe there's been other ones as well. I can't remember them all. Yeah, I, I can't remember them really much either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, other questions that they were asking um, regarding about, like, any new games you want to see sequels of have been e Onimusha, Final Fight, Rival Schools, Commando. So, yeah, they're really delving into the more obscure stuff. I mean, they even have Ghosts and Goblins, and they even have um, Gargoyles Quest in there. And I'm like, wow, you haven't released those, you know. They, there was a recent um, Ghosts and Goblins game that came out, I think, last year for the Wii. I mean, not the, not the Wii, the Switch. Um, so yeah, that I wouldn't say, you know, another uh, Ghosts and Goblins game would be needed, but a Gargoyles Quest, that would be really interesting because there hasn't been one since the Super Nintendo. And that's a spinoff of the Ghosts and Goblins games. So maybe that could be a possibility that maybe we can have a game like that or Lost Planet. Like, remember, like there was a Lost Planet game that was revived for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, and those were pretty solid, and then after two games, they stopped doing them. Mm. And 1942, like, man, that is a really obscure shmup that hasn't had any relevance in decades, so that would be a really interesting one to see if people really vote for that, but if I were to guess, like, the fan base, I think that they'll just fit, vote for the more popular stuff. They probably want to see more Mega Man, they probably want to see more Street Fighter, they probably want to see more Resident Evil, so... Yeah, I mean, I think that people will go for the more popular stuff, but yeah, if, there'll, um, be, there'll be that one guy who basically complains that like, you know there's not enough like you know uh, male characters in Splatoon, like and it's like uh, you know uh, but uh, then he gets curious like you know it's Capcom and not Nintendo. So. <laughs> okay, well anyway, the point is is that I I I would be really surprised if some of the dormant games get more love as opposed to the more popular games. I would love to see a new Final Fight because. They released Streets of Rage 4 a few years ago, and that was great. And they're planning on doing a movie on it. And they're planning on doing a reboot of it, too. So, yeah, I would love to see Final Fight get another chance. Because the last one that we had was on the PlayStation 2, and it sucked. And, yeah, I would love to see them do, um, um, let's see, Okami. I would love to see them bring that back. I mean, a lot of people that I know really love that game and lo would love to see another installment of that. Um. yeah, uh, my cousin is really into the Onimusha games. He really likes ninja games. So that would be really cool to see. So, yeah, I think that, um, you know, a possibility that the fans get to choose on what games that they would like to see from Capcom in the future 
coming back. And yeah, if you would, uh, you know, for all the people who are really interested, go over to Capcom's website and uh, fill out that poll. And I would say, you know, tr go a little bit off the grain, you know, pick some of the more obscure games so that we can see those again. I think that that'd be really fun. I mean, I think that we can take a break from the Street Fighters and, you know, the Resident Evils and the Devil May Cries, you know, like... I think, the only, thing bring... with, I think the only thing with that is, is that obviously you don't want to pick a game that's too obscure. Like people are like, huh? It's like, because that's the last, that's the last thing that you want. Like, how many times have we, like, uh, you know, where we've had, you know, E3s or we've had, like, you know, getting presentations where they say, oh, hey, you remember this big favorite back in the day? It's like, you know, it's like, a, it's a mediocre title three. It's like, like okay, <laughs> great. Ridge um, Racer. Remember yeah. that game? And right. nobody did. <laughs> no, it's like, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, oh, hey, it's about as uh, average as I remember when I played it when I was, like, you know, six or seven years old. You know, it's like, it's just, yeah, you don't, you don't, you, you, the one thing is that you don't want to pick something out of your library where it's kind of like, uh, oh, um, I remember that from like, you know, when I was, wasn't playing Super Mario, when I wasn't playing Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, like, uh, you don't want that type of reaction. You want a game where people are going to be like, oh yeah, I remember playing that. Oh, it was so cool back at that time. And I can't believe I forgot it. Like, that's the reaction that you want. Okay. You know? That's, that's completely fair. I, I, I will say yeah i mean pick a a game series that has a bit of a cult following but not too obscure that nobody knows what it is well it doesn't even have to have a cult following it just needs to have the reaction of like oh i remember playing that game back in the time like yeah. you know it's just it needs to have like, like a nice bright reaction you know okay like, that, yeah. that's fair that's fair Cool. Yeah, so um yeah, we'll, 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 uh, we we're still waiting on the results from the poll. I mean, it's probably not going to be until a while. But um yeah, if you are interested, go over to Capcom's website, uh give it a look and see um you know, what games would you like to see come back? Would you like to see some of the more obscure games or would you like to see some of the more, you know, like classic games that a lot of people really do enjoy? So, yeah, I, I know, how angry would the executives at Capcom be if, like, if they, if the, the fans all suggest a more game to make, they make it and then it comes out and then barely anybody buys it. And they turn around to their fans and say, Well, we did what you wanted us to do. Why didn't you buy it? It's like, and everyone turns around and it's like, um, We're dirt poor. It's like, you know, so well, that's the reason why we didn't buy it. But, um, um that, that would be really unfortunate, though. Yeah. Yeah, especially since there's this whole debacle going on about like, you know, are certain games worth 50, 60 bucks? I mean, have you seen those? Like, you know, um, the Mario That's another thing Donkey as well. Like, imagine if they did say, oh, hey, we're, we're going to listen to you. We're going to release the game, but it's coming out on Switch 2 and it's going to be $80. It's like, no. You know, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, the pricing has to be right too, I think. All right, then. So, yeah, um, that's going to be a pretty tough uh decision to make now that i think about it it's gonna be a huge sell if they have to like you know if they have to charge quite a bit per unit fair enough all right then and finally so you remember tommy tallarico you remember that video game composer who worked on games like earthworm jim and who claims to have done various other games but in reality he kind of didn't yeah the same guy who was involved with the and Television Amico, who wanted it to be a game console that people who didn't play video games anymore can be able to gravitate themselves in towards. Wait, is that the device that couldn't play Doom? Yes. Oh, what's he doing now? Well, I mean, he are well, according to what it says here on The Verge, that um the house that was featured on MTV Cribs, no, it wasn't, it wasn't featured on MTV Cribs, is currently up for sale for three million dollars. Okay, and uh, I mean, again, I've not seen the house, so uh, I mean, do would you say that the house is actually you know worth three million dollars? 
Well, let's take a look to see what it has. So, yeah, for for $3 million, it is a five-bedroom and four-bath, uh, 5,884 square foot, a rare three-story home that has seven acres of private enclosed land, including blocked views of surrounded homes inside the prestigious Hunt Club community with 24-hour guard-gated and roaming security. Outside, property includes five-level waterfall, Wow. Okay. Five level waterfall. Can you level it up to level six? And stream that passes under a wooden bridge driveway, entrance opening to a large pond with mature giant koi, castle designed saltwater moat pool, and jacuzzi um, and waterfall system. Jeez, oh, what's with the waterfalls, Tommy Tellerico? Brand new pebble tech surface with abalone shell sparkle, mature fruit and exotic trees. Um, solar system with newer concrete roofing, whole room with four stage water filtration system and water softener. Tank uh, tankless water system with instant hot water throughout entire home. The first floor. Let's see what it has on the first floor. Um, a library and piano room with custom spotlighting and stone fireplace. Gold-leafed dining room with 10-stage ant antiquated walls, mirrored ceiling, and alabaster lighting. Full wet bar with brass sink and wine area. Bedroom slash office with views of property waterfall. Unique custom Venetian stucco kitchen and bed uh, breakfast nook with stone floor, stone wall accents, and hand-laid Indian mosaic. High-end appliances including conventional stovetop, food warmer, compactor, instant boiling water, etc. Stunning 20-foot high open beam living room slash tv room with custom carved um wood fireplace mantle and stone fireplace alabaster lighting fixtures and digital art screen and that's just the first floor the second floor um, has baby, a baby, let's, let's, i think the, i think the point's been made okay yeah it's a lot of stuff for yeah. three million dollars okay i'll give him ten dollars for it <laughs> i'll double it to 20 uh no no maybe don't, don't, don't overprice it like, okay uh, yeah. Okay. Fine. Like it. Yeah, I'll give him ten dollars for it. Okay, so. fine. We'll, right. we'll we'll auction ten dollars for this. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, he left uh, in television Amico about a year ago uh, because of uh, various reasons. He claimed it was like, um, you know, due to like um, what was it like, uh, you know, conflicting differences or something like that. But uh, yeah, the Intellivision Amico is now a dumpster fire that will probably never be released. And like I said before, if you want to know about the dumpster fire that the game would have been, if, you know, the game console would have been, if it was released properly, then go check out Game Slopes' um, Slopes Game Room YouTube channel and go check out the six-hour documentary about the Intellivision Amico. About mm -hmm. what that would have been like of all the empty promises that Tommy Tallarico said about like what the game was going the game console was going to be about and all the games that were going to be released there, including an Earthworm Jim game that he was going to compose the music for. But yeah, I mean, that ended up being a disaster. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what he's up to nowadays, uh, other than that he's going to be selling his house that was featured on MTV Cribs, but not really featured on MTV Cribs. He was just like saying all these lies as always. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Right then. So, um, are we going to move on to the spoiler section? 
Yes, we are. So that is it for our discussion of all of these wacky things happening on the world. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Aaron and Patricia. We're going to be going over to our spoiler discussion of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur episodes three and four. So if you have not tuned into them and you are not interested in our discussion, then we'll see you next week. But for those who are interested and you haven't tuned into it, go watch it on Disney Plus, then come back to us. And until then, everybody, take care and bye bye for now. Okay. Going once, going twice. Going three times, and we're officially in spoiler section. So uh, we're going to start off with Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur Season 2, Episode 3, which is uh, The Belly of the Beast. And uh, I really like how, you know, um, again, I get that Disney were wanting to go with episodic, you know, where so it goes like, you know, you can like watch them out of order and things like that. But uh, I don't think that's what they've got in mind, because um, the one thing that they seem to be doing is that uh, every single... Uh, episodes seem to be following on from one another so it really is going kind of like in a linear format and uh, that definitely goes for the belly of the beast because you got Casey who um, is basically really happy that she's finally got her best friend back and uh, she was worried that she was going to lose her you know uh, you know, for forever and a day and uh, so she's basically like redone up her like entire you know uh, basically you know lab if you will and so she's putting like all these you know wonderful things that uh, she finds fun and uh, then you know uh, reorganized it in a way but uh, you know Lanella prefers to basically have his place kind of like a bit of a mess really and so um, you can tell that you know they're trying to get on as best as they can but uh, Lanella's patience is really running thin and uh, then She's trying to develop, like, you know, a goo bomb to, like, you know, add to her arsenal. And uh, while she's developing it, uh, you know, um, the uh, she starts falling out with Casey. Casey starts saying, oh, if you want to live in a mess, then you can go live in a mess. So uh, she starts making a mess of the place. and uh, But uh, unknowingly, uh, basically, she uh, basically you know, knocks the goo bomb away and uh, the devil dinosaur ends up eating it. And then it's up to uh, Luna, you know, uh, Moon Girl and Casey basically to go and save the day and get the goo bomb out, out of uh, devil dinosaur. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you know, you know what, this is a great episode, I think, you know, um, I think that what they've done is they basically said, you know what, you need to, you know, be bringing a lesson of like, you know, yeah, you can be friends and, uh, but uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that so you're not going to, you know, annoy one another and you don't listen to one another and things. And so, and also they're playing on the fact that, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, how you know stressed out that, uh, you know, where Casey was, you know, in regards to, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, her, you know, witnessing what happened. It's, uh, I think that, you know, they're learning lessons from Arthur. I think because they are taking a, a, a situation which happened at the you know, the very end of season one and taking season two, and they're telling everybody's perspective of like how they feel about you know uh, what happened, and uh, I think that's I think that's very good storytelling. I think in that regard because yeah, you know agree. what happened to what happened to Lunella was pretty traumatic, you know, for her and for basically everyone else involved, and they're basically now telling everybody's kind of side of like how they felt about it. Yeah, we, we already knew about Lunella's side of it when we saw the last episode in which she was going through this PTSD of being defeated, de almost defeated by a Molecule Man. But now we get to see from Casey's point of view about like, you know, her best friend was gone for several hours and she didn't know where she was or how she was doing or if she was going to be okay. And then when she finally got you know, literally back, she left afterwards to go to Arizona to get a new suit. And so uh, in the meanwhile, while Lunella and um, Mimi were going over to Arizona to get the suit situation, she was um, decorating and restructuring her entire lab and split it off into two where they had like a, a work study um, place. And then they had like a chill uh, location. And there's a lot of things that are going on 
in the background that Lunella is like really frustrated on. There's a lot of things going on in the background that Casey's frustrated on. And so you have Casey playing this song, Count on Friends, over and over and over and over again, and it drives Lunella crazy. And then she starts getting a little bit overwhelmed with the fact that, you know, Casey's way of organization is very different from Lunella's, where Casey has everything color-coded and everything goes into a certain location, while Lunella likes everything in a disorganized way because she knows where everything is, even though it does look disorganized. And Casey finds that really infuriating. And so we have these two different mindsets of people who are trying to work in this one space. And we have the frustrations of what would happen if that were the case in which two people working on the same space would go through. And we get to a point in which they have their major breaking off point, but they have to both rescue Devil Dinosaur because the goo grenade is inside of his stomach. And if it explodes, he literally turns into goo. And so we, we go have this whole magic school bus journey of entering inside of Devil's, um, you know, body and seeing all of the different, um, you know, uh, cells and viruses and all these things attacking, um, you know, Lunella and Casey. And then finally Lunella gets frustrated and breaks away from Casey, but then she gets captured herself. And so she's trying to break off of it. And then Casey rescues her, but then um, Lunella thinks that she can be able to solve it herself, but then she can't and activates the goo grenade. And then finally they have to get out right before it's too late. They finally get out. And then you have this other subplot involving with Mimi telling Devil, hey, you know, we there's ice cream about. Um, do you want to go get some? And Devil literally can't move. Otherwise, he activates the goo grenade. And you have all of these mosquitoes coming in and biting off on Devil. And he's like really, really itchy and he can't move and he wants ice cream and he's itchy and he wants to scratch himself and so there's just a lot of things going on yeah like uh, you know unfortunately devil dinosaur ends up being the butt of the joke of this uh, of this one pretty yeah, much and uh, but, i mean it is played for hilarity pretty much and uh, but imagine you do feel sorry for him at the very end of the episode yeah but... imagine if you can't like literally move an inch and you have to like you know scratch an itch or you're hungry and you want ice cream or you have acid dripping on your face you need to get an umbrella so you can protect yourself it's like yeah he's been going through a lot of stuff in that one episode yeah. So, um, again, I, you know, um, I go, like I said before, like I think, you know, Belly of the Beast, I think, quite frankly, is a fantastic, you know, Moon Girl and the Dinosaur episode. And mm -hmm. uh, I think, uh, the, you know, um, uh, the fact that it's continuing on and like, you know, they're continuing the story of like, you know, evolving Moon Girl and also evolving her relationships with all her peers and everything. I think uh, that is fantastic storytelling. Uh, in my opinion and uh, so and also i think you got Kate, both casey and i think uh, lunella you know obviously re-establishing re you know well at least re-evaluating where their relationship are, are and you know how much you know, what their tolerance level is for one another and everything so i think uh, yeah i think they did a great job i do agree yeah and then we finally get into episode four uh to uh, so which has been like uh, so we, so we did last week's episode so we're doing this week's episode now which is yeah. uh, ride or die and uh, so, um, you know, I, I like I love this episode, actually, because, you know, um, this is an episode where um, Lunella, you know, Moon Girl realizes that, you know, not all villains are like, you know, ha ha ha, I want to take over the world. You know, some of them have like, you know, really deep backstories, which, you know, uh, um, I think that's something that I think I've been missing out of Moon Girl. If it had to be like any criticism is that, uh, you know, a, a lot of villains are basically like, you know, they we seem to not get, get, develop too much into their backstories unless like it's, it's, it's a 
a major villain of like of the show. And uh, so we get introduced to Quick Whip. And uh, so the, the great thing about this Quick Whip character is that uh, she originally didn't want to be a villain. She was str- someone who was struggling, like, uh, you know, uh, doing her baking, you know, because uh, she wanted to, you know, aspire to basically do that. And uh, so obviously she ends up, you know, in the hands of a criminal and uh, she demonstrates that she's actually, you know, really good at doing that. And so she ends up basically going into the world of crime, but she didn't want to actually stay there. She was only doing it basically just to, you know, basically rob, you know, rob the rich and, you know, so she can basically like do her, you know, um, her thing. And then once she was able to do that, she ended up walking away. And uh, so, you know, I love the fact that uh, we have an episode here that it gives you, a, you know, a feeling towards like one of our villains. And because uh, at the very beginning, it's like, oh, it's just another Moon Girl villain. But no, it's like it's someone you can really relate to in this. Yes. I think it's fantastic. I do. I do agree. And the fact that, you know, she was this massive trickster who was constantly, um, you know, getting the slip on Moon Girl several times by like pointing out things that are obviously not there. Hey, look, there's Captain America. Hey, look, there's Thanos. Hey, look, there's a stain on your shirt. I mean, it's the the most oldest trick in the book. And yet at the same time, Moon Girl keeps falling for it. And the fact that she finally had quick, uh, quick whip captured. Well, at the same time, they're supposed to be watching their favorite soap opera, the old and the um, what was it again? The, um, oh, it was uh, a, it was a, it was the uh, play on that uh, words. Oh, uh, the bold and the beautiful. The yeah. bold and beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, we find you like uh, I mean, to be honest, like the uh, the whole soap opera thing was basically just kind of like a side thing for Casey and basically Devil Dinosaur has some jokes in. But uh, for me, it was more like uh, I was I thought more invested in like you know the obviously our, our main our main plot you know in regards to that, which obviously you know duh, it's the main plot. But yeah, uh, yeah so um, I mean, the side plot I think you know obviously doesn't take too much you know uh, relevance in all of this. I think it's more of the fact that uh, you know you have someone who you know uh, Quick Whip who you know didn't want to end up in this situation, but you know end up getting too, too deep into it and then could, felt like she couldn't escape. And then I love the ending of this where you know she finally does get arrested by Shield, but uh, the, you know, then you know uh, Moon Girl changes her mind and says, "No, I want to give you know uh, uh, give her a second chance." And then she basically you know she opens up the uh, the program to allow villains who didn't want to be villains anymore to basically come out without you know any prejudice you know going back into the real world and you know which basically gives her that gives her that out which i think you know uh, i think it's really great i think that's something that uh, you know we should be doing in real life not just in a tv show you know <laughs> yeah exactly like you know people who have done bad things once upon a time are not bad people necessarily they've done a lot of mistakes yes but you know, they sometimes they had no other choice or they didn't know that they had um, a second option to do. And so when they get involved in it, you know, once they had did their time afterwards, you know, they're going to have this bad reputation. They're, I mean, they're going to have a criminal record for the rest of their lives. And so people are not going to want to hire them. They're going to want to hire people who are, you know, obviously have never committed a crime before because they feel that they're more safer. And so the fact that Moon Girl was able to give Quick Whip an opportunity for her to um, pursue her dream of being a Michelin baker and for her to showcase her techniques to Lower East Side is actually really great that, you know, she was able to convince Maria Hill from S.H.I.E.L.D., hey, let's do this, um, you know, little uh, thing for the villains who don't want to be villains anymore. And I thought that that was actually a really sweet way. And Quick Quick was a great character to be around with, where she was able to explain that 
um, you know, she only joined up with Lady Bullseye and her team in the first place to go on a whole bunch of heists was because she was just trying to get herself back on track with her life that, you know, she was hoping that she was going to do really well with her baking. But when she moved over to New York City, things got really expensive. And guess what? It is. Yeah, that, that's true, actually. So, it is uh, true. By the way, uh, for those of you wondering uh, who played uh, Quick Whip in this, it's uh, Robin Thede, who uh, is a writer for uh, the Black Lady Sketch Show and the rundown with Robin Thede. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, a great performance that she did for this character. Oh, yeah, she did. She, I, I love this character. I really yeah. do. And uh, who knows? Maybe we might see more of her. So, yeah. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, I know that the subplot involving with Casey watching the soap opera with Devil, I mean, sure, that was a bit of the comedy, but there was also a little thing involving with like, oh, the subplot involved with like, oh, you know, the grandma character wasn't bad after all. And, you know, she kind of like revealed in a, in, you know, the joke, it's like, oh, you know, you're giving Quick Quick a chance because she's, you know, not so bad. It's kind of like that grandma character. And then that was when Lunella was saying like, wait a minute, you watched a show without me? So yeah, uh, yeah. don't watch shows behind people's backs if they're really excited to watch it because that's uh yeah that's that's kind of betraying right there yeah. and people make well, a joke about that well, those also wondering as well uh, lady bullseye in this is also played by mimi yamashita she was actually in the lion guard uh playing in namala oh cool yeah so yeah, so uh, I think that this episode was really, really well done, and I really like the characters. I like the story. I really like the outcome of it. So yeah, I think that this was definitely a, a banger. So yeah, episodes three and four were really well done. Yeah, and uh, also just to let you know, you know, as I said, you know, well, this is actually one of the very few episodes where you know where Lunella doesn't like you know start the soundtrack, you know, for her uh, machine. She uh, you know is actually the guy, the guy on the train actually starts the starts the music. That's right. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, he's singing like a soul song because it's like, you know, if this is going to be the last thing I'm going to do before we die, I'm going to sing a song and you guys are not going to, you know, go up against me on that. And so, yeah, he sings the song while uh, Moon Girl and Quick Whip fight off against Lady Bullseye and her minions. So, yeah, I thought that that was actually really, really cool. Cool. And so, yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, Moon Girl, Devil Dinosaur, episodes uh, three and four. Or so uh, and then we'll give you episode five come next week. Yeah, now here's the thing. I know that the first half of season two is already up on Disney+. Plus. We could talk about all 13 episodes like right now if we wanted to, but just like we said- but What's the fun in that? Yeah, what's- okay, yeah. What's the fun in that if we just cover everything in one shot? And I know that we did the same thing with the first six episodes when it aired on uh, Disney Plus in season one, but again, we're only covering bit by bit because we're into people- um, I'm sorry, we're into the, the situation where we like to watch shows bit by bit as opposed to like binge it in its entirety and cover it in one shot. So, yeah, we want to take our time with it. And uh, for those who have seen Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and have seen season 2A in its entirety, please don't spoil it for us because we're excited about this. Cool. All right, then, all right, but, uh, until then, yeah, until then um, we'll see you later. Yep. See you, everyone. Bye-bye.